Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 289th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's always on the hunt for another spec. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, James. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to pl- plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, my friend, what do we have on the agenda? Well, this this week week it's pretty exciting. We're going to start with some basic stuff. We got our segment one, MTGO Metagame Week in Review with two modern challenges. Our segment two, our top paper movers. Segment with uh, MTGO movers as well. Uh, Segment three is our cards to watch. Some stuff James and I will run through we think you might want to keep an eye on. But segment four, topic of the week, the big big one this week, we have both Jason and Ellie of the Veil on to talk Innistrad Midnight Hunt EDH cards, because that's the only format that matters anymore. So that should be a fun conversation. Uh, before before we dive into all that, I want to flag a few things I've been I've thrown into some big buy lists um, over at Card Kingdom recently, just so people might be prompted to pull the stuff out of their inventory. Much of this is stuff that showed up on this cast as specs at one point or another. Um, so probably good to call some of this stuff out. Risen Reefs, both foils and non-foils, are an attractive buy list position. Uh, I think my latest uh, on the Risen Reef foils was something like... Ooh, let's see, what's Card Kingdom currently offering? Da-da-da-da. Foils are at $9 cash, $11.70 credit, and original ins a year or two ago were in the $3 to $4 range, so those were nice double or triples, depending on when you got in. for a buy list. Oh, yeah. Uh, Some of the other juicy stuff that I just sent in this morning included Mystic Forges that were in close to $3. You can get $4 cash, $5.20 credit on those. Leyline of Anticipation was a popular spec. Mm. Uh, from the M20 summer set release, and costing on those could have been anywhere from three to four dollars. You can currently get 450 cash, 585 credit on those. Curtains Call was a Jason E Alt spec from way back. I think I I got those early in 2017 for about 75 cents a copy, and you can currently uh, buy list those out at five bucks cash. 650 credit so that's uh five or six times over a few years not bad Ooh, at all i think i have some of those yep scheming symmetry out of uh the magic 2020 set was a selection of mine a ways back 
and the in on those was somewhere for me it was a dollar eighty six. Other people might have been anywhere from between dollar fifty and three dollars. Currently buy list out around four dollars to cash and five twenty credit. Fiery Emancipation was one of my selections last summer. In on those whole bunch of them uh, at about four to five dollars, and you can currently get out at ten dollars cash, thirteen credit. Mangara the Diplomat has doubled up in about a year. In on those was $4.50 for me. Everybody else would be somewhere around that range probably if they got in the same summer. And you can currently get out at $7 and $9.10 credit. Um, Vito Thorn of the Dusk Rose was another uh, Magic 21 card that seemed like a, a surefire winner. My in on those, uh, I sent in 30 copies today. In was $1.69. Out was four dollars cash, five twenty credit, and I'd imagine there might be some more meat left on that bone heading into the Crimson Vow release, where there's going to be a heavier focus on vampires. Yeah, I actually think you sit on Vito. is really good, and I ha- and I have gl- grazed over him a couple times recently, and I, I haven't talked about him on the cast because I know we've mentioned him in the past, but uh, I think there's probably room for him still. Highest percentage gain was I sent in several dozen copies of Talisman of Impulse at a Mirrodin that I was in on at fourteen cents a few years back, <laughs> and they're now they're now paying a dollar five cash, dollar thirty seven credit. <clears throat> well, did you get two or three hundred? Because that'll be good news for you. Well, I got forty or fifty. That's still quite good. Still not bad. And then Eladomri's Call out of Modern Horizons 1, uh, my in on those was $1.75 back in June of 2019, and just exited at three seventy dollars uh, cash, four eighty one dollars credit. Some good choices in there, some good pickups. Uh, we'll go through all the details, but Nyx Bloom Ancients also look pretty good as exits. Casualties of War out of the War of the Spark looks pretty good. Uh, Estra's Estra's Invocation has a solid exit if you were in early. And then, of course, anything you've got you're sitting on in the realm of vampires, zombies, uh, werewolves, etc. If you've bought previous Innistrad sets, you should be digging that up and looking to either exit at retail or via buy list, depending on how thick the stacks are and whether they're pennies or several dollars. You're supposed to wait on the werewolves, right? Or not the werewolves, sorry, the vampires. The vampires. Possibly. Just just a month, a couple months, right? Two months. I think the small ball stuff um, is going to be a slow, steady gainer kind of thing. The harder to find vampire foils and so forth, are, they are definitely already drying up. And I don't know if you can, how long you're really going to be able to wait um, if you're getting in to get out. But if you're sitting on, yeah, you probably got some, some ripening time. Ahead. That's what I mean. If you've got them in your inventory... Just hold, just hold off till the spoilers are hitting, right? Now, I, I would expect that there's a Crimson Vow-related secret layer Halloween project as of yet to be unveiled. So that's worth worth being aware of because it will interfere with at least a handful of spells. Sure, sure. Yeah, probably. Although it's pretty funny. like The way that they have to produce, they, they've chosen to produce those yeah. means that they're going to sell, sell you a Halloween-themed theme themed thing that will land somewhere around St. Patty's yeah. Day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, you're right. A couple of them will show up in, like, secret layers. That's probably the only real competition. Unless you're holding some form, like, you know, you've got blood celebrants or whatever they are. 
you're just going to sell them, you know, non-foils or pack foils or whatever aren't really going to get in the way of collector's edition extended art. So they're different cards, but the secret layers might have a little bit of overlap on some of the pricier stuff. Sure. All right, we can jump into the metagame weekend review uh, over here. We've got uh, a couple of juicy decks that did very well this week. Both of the first place decks are uh, especially spicy. Um, we have blue white mill as opposed to blue black mill that took down the challenge on September 11th. Uh, pretty impressive overall. Um, they didn't seem to be dying to get into white so much as they didn't feel like they needed the black. And so in terms of their assist color, they just felt that getting two prismatic ending in the main, two path to exile in the main, and then two of each in the sideboard, plus a few other dabblings in white cards, uh, justified, I guess, probably being easier on the mana maybe by having less reliance on black. Yeah, I mean, in any of these more aggressively aligned decks, you're you're trying to keep a easy mana so you're not stumbling on turns one, two. I don't know how much easier the blue-white is than the blue-black, or whether it's just that the the white kill is more what you need in the format right now, but certainly the first time I remember seeing blue-white mill over blue-black. Yeah, it, that's... It's not common. That's for sure. I'm just... I'm scrolling through the list here. It's not even like... They have Luris in the sideboard, right? But it's not even like you need to get into white for Luris, because Luris is white-black anyway. So the only only things in the sideboard are the extra paths and prismatics. Everything else is is uh, blue uh, or would have been black by default because they have Ashiok Dream Renders in there too, which is also a hybrid card. Hmm. This is interesting. Maybe they just... But it is nice. I mean, putting the color issue aside, certainly nice to be lurusing back your crabs so that you never run out of the crabs. Yeah, pool. I guess now that they've got the other crab, they've got Fractured Sanity and Tasha's Hideous Laughter uh i mean really they don't they're not committed to black anymore the way they used to be so i guess you get to branch out if you need to you get slightly better no glimpse no glimpse the unthinkable none of the glimpses that do eight cards a piece um and no maddening cacophony in these recent ones interesting all right, so moving on forward with the September 11th challenge, we had Hammer Time. Uh, probably the m- most recent addition to that deck is the Four Ingenious Smith. And then Living End in third and fourth, Blue Red Murktide in fifth. Uh, Bring to Light Scape Shift in sixth. Um, we've certainly seen plenty of uh, BTL variants over the last couple of years, um, but I haven't seen it in the top eights of Modern more or less since uh, MH2 came to the forefront and took over the format. This one's running four Dryad of the Elysian Grove, four Bring Delight, three Fire and Ice, yet another shell that runs that card. Those foils have all been uh, charging pretty hard. Um, four, uh, three Mana Teferi, and three Ren and Six, uh, along the the usual scapeshift-related land shenanigans. Yep, pretty, seems like a relatively familiar list at this point, but uh, potent for sure. Kind of like a remix of previous lists. There's no prime primeval titans anywhere to be found in modern right now. I guess because an unholy heat uh, on delirium can deal six damage to a creature. Hmm. I I mean I wonder if they just don't need it anymore. The other card, other decks cards in the deck are just so potent that they don't need to branch out. Well, it used to be that like if you were li- leaning on path to exile and fatal push, you weren't super efficient against the titan. 
But if you're using prismatic ending and unholy heat, it's much easier yep. to deal with but that. But if you're grid. playing primeval titan, I mean, you're you're pl- the enter the battlefield's trigger is where you're really getting paid, and then anything after that's just gravy. So the removal spells almost feel irrelevant. Be- well, you still need to get, you still need to give it double strike and trample or whatever, and and get in. Oh, right? uh, if you're talking about the Slayer Slayer Stronghold, the, the combo, or whatever. But so. I mean, I'm thinking about Scapeshift style builds. You're thinking about when you're just valakuting yeah. them out. Yeah, yeah. So Shardless Footfalls in seventh, running four Brazen Borrower, four Fury, three Sight Season Pyromancer, Green Tron in eighth. The only card that jumped out at me there is that they're running an Eye of Vecna, and I immediately realized I'm supposed to be running Eye of Vecna in uh, Aloro for sure. Eye of Vecna get, draws you a card and you lose two life when it comes into play, and then at the start of your turn you can pay to lose two life and draw a card, which is just amazing in Aloro. Is that? I mean, isn't an artifact that draw? Isn't this just like a Howling Mine in that deck? No, this is this is just but but Howling Mine that doesn't give your your EDH compatriots cards. Does, I don't think of EDH decks needing cards uh, too much help on card draw. I guess. I mean, obviously, it would be use. It would be good in the sense that the life is irrelevant in Alora, but I also imagine you. Well, I don't know. I haven't built an Alora deck in forever, so what do I know? Maybe the card draw is useful. There's plenty. There's plenty of options. Like you don't have to have an Eye of Vecna, but I, I I tend to run pretty mid-range tuned decks that I'm not I'm not trying to fully optimize my build. This this will slot in sure, pretty easily. Sure. Uh, so this deck that won the other modern challenge on the Sunday, whew, mono red Eldrazi, and they run Chalice of the Void in the main four copies alongside four copies of Ragavan. And in this meta, they could very easily end up in a situation where both they and their opponent play a chalice early on. This is, uh, what is this list? It's basically Eldrazi from back in the day. It's got the the core 12, Matter Reshaper, Reality Smasher, and Thought Not Seer. They're running Chalice the Void because the meta has tons of zero and one casting cost stuff you've got to deal with. And then they've added a smattering of hyper-efficient red cards, including Bonecrusher Giant, Fury, Ragavan. They've got four Shatter Skull Smashing, so you've got a DFC Flip Mythic Land from uh, ZNR last fall doing work in a fresh shell. That's exciting. They're running four Ramanap Ruins. I know I've got some of those foils sitting around. And then Eldrazi Obligator. If you understand the history of the Eldrazi decks in Modern, you'll remember that when it when Eldrazi won the first Pro Tour, I believe it was, um, sub, subsequent to which it got banned out of the format by them getting rid of Eye of Ugin, uh, Obligator was a big piece of the puzzle because I think the first version of the Eldrazi list was blue red. Yeah, and they were and they were running the full suite of the Obligators. So I haven't seen that card in a while, but I'm pretty sure there's some foils in the bad specs box. So by all means, keep driving this list home until my Obligator sells. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting. I you know it's a red card that you can pitch to Fury. That's an Eldrazi, so you get paid for. Nope, it's not a red card because it's devoid. The card oh has no God, color. You're absolutely right, doesn't it? What? Huh. Ragavan, you can throw to Fury if you end up having to drop the right. chalice. So they're not. So I was thinking, like, okay, well, you're playing 
Eldrazi Obligator because it's sort of a free roll in that regard, but it's not. So they're playing an Obligator because they think that's a good card. Well, I mean, it's, it's a card that's been underestimated before <laughs> to the detriment of people that ended up on the losing side of a, a Pro Tour. So I'm at least willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And they and they certainly caught this top, top eight off guard, I'm sure. Well, their opponents probably had no idea what they were doing. Bonecrusher Giant is also seems like an odd choice to me. But, I mean, I guess if you look at it as Shock that also pitches to Fury, maybe? I'd be curious to hear what some of the decisions made here are. Bonecrusher gets played a smattering all over the place in Modern just because it's hyper-efficient. Like the, the fact that it's not just two damage, it's two damage and damage can't be prevented that turn. Um... So it messes with uh, protection from stuff. Mm. And then targeting the Bone Crusher Giant deals damage to that controller. And it's a 4-3. Like, it's just a very efficient card. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that there it's there's stuff like the damage can't be prevented that I'm overlooking that kind of builds up in utility uh, in the format. Uh, now, there's a cute little combo in here I noticed. Cavern of Souls is in here, yep. right? So if you want, if you know you're going to have to cast your chalice mm. and your chalice is going to count, is going to counter stuff, you can name monkey pirate, monkey or pirate with cavern and cast your ragavan through the yep. chalice. No. Yep. <laughs> so you, you drop chalice, they can't play the ragavan, you cavern, call monkey and then cast. That's yep. hilarious. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a trick in a couple different decks, I think. You would do that. So anyway, pretty exciting. Like I would to see this in eighth or something. You would you'd write it off as okay. They they had a good run. We're probably not going to see them again. To see it in first. Now now I'm on the watch. How how frequently will we see this this version of the archetype? Because boy, would I love to see Reality Smasher and Thought Not see your foils suddenly be in demand. I've certainly got some of those sitting around. Yeah yeah. All I mean, we've got a bunch of these. Right, a bunch of Eldrazi that we probably both in. I've got a giant pile of Matador Reshapers that I had bought. Just plain old Matter Reshaper. Would love to see those. Uh, not too bad. $2 for a TCG low right now. I wonder what I paid for those. Who knows? Second place in this top eight, Blue-White Control, running four Solitude, four Prismatic Ending, four Archmage's Charm, four Counterspell. Uh... My guess is that the Eldrazi deck get you know got some Eldrazi temples online early or some caverns in play, and a lot of that counter magic wasn't doing the work it was supposed to do in the final. Uh, Shardless Footfalls in third, Yogmoth Blue uh, uh, Green Black Combo in fourth, Blue Red Murktide in fifth, Ad Nauseam in sixth, another Blue Red Murktide in seventh, and then Hammer Time in eighth. The rest of this top eight looked very standard. So it uh, must have been a pretty exciting run for the Red Eldrazi player. Yeah, I, the, people probably had no idea what they're dealing with. You see a turn one Ragavan, you're getting ready for Dragon Rage Channelers, and they play Mattery Shaper, and you're like, what is this list? Yeah. All right, so we're moving on to the top paper movers. First thing I wanted to call out here is something that doesn't show up uh, in a lot of the data that people are probably combing through, but we've certainly been discussing it in the Pro Trader Discord, and that is the Ampersand... Uh, Adventures of the Forgotten Realms promos that were handed out to premium stores, and it seems like they only landed in North America. So the quick napkin math on this is that these promos, there's probably less, somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 of each of these in the world, as far as so we can tell. So you say 1,000? 
Yes. Because you only get two copies to each premium store, and there aren't that many premium stores in the U.S. Something like 6,000 6, stores in the whole WPN, but a minority of those are premium, right? That's it. So, it's not a lot. Yeah. So there, this is like as rare probably as an S1 Amano. And as a result, the most important of these ampersand promos is the Tiamat promo. And the ampersand is basically like a spot gloss of the Dungeons and Dragons logo over the front of the magic card. Um, look at it dead on. You're not going to see anything, but if you tilt it around, you get, you get this really cool effect. Okay. So the Tiamat has been going for anywhere between $400 and $900, if, when, you can even find a copy. Uh, currently on TCG Player, we're looking at... I think there was one copy listed at 900 the last time I checked. Let me just double check. Current market price is sitting at 612. There is currently two copies listed, one at 850 and one at $1000. There are other cards in the mix here that are pretty interesting. There's Drizzt Dorden who means nothing to your average magic player but for People that read D&D novels anytime over the last 30 years, that's basically the main character. Um, you have Inferno of the Star Mounts, which is worth a look if you can find it. You have Minsk, Beloved Ranger, which was a prominent character in the uh, D&D video game Baldur's Gate, I believe, back in yeah. the day. You got Volo Guide to Monsters, which is a, a prominent character in quotations. Like it's It's an author of a major... Uh, basically the book about monsters that you read if you're trying to pick what you want to send at your player characters is supposedly written by this guy, Volo. Um, but the ones I really got my eye on is I'm trying to get, get a decent co- uh, price on the Treasure Vault ampersand promo because Treasure Vault is just generally a good EDH card. And there's three copies listed at 210 apiece on TCG Player. And I'm feeling a little tempted to make a move. Um, I'm not sure what the correct price is on some of these. The other one I'd be looking at, of course, is Circle of Dreams Druid, which is the Gaia's Cradle on a Stick. You've got four copies available of that currently on TCG, and they're priced at $450 apiece. $450 apiece for the Circle of Dreams Druid promos? Yep. I I don't think that's right. Like, I don't think you can buy those. Uh, I just, like... It, with Tiama, it kind of makes sense just because of the the popularity of that character. But I don't I don't get it for for just generic EDH cards. I don't love that. There's, there has been plenty of debate in the Pro Trader Discord over this. Everybody's got a different opinion. My current stance is that these are very similar to uh, Amano Liliana's. Where the vast majority of Magic players, when they when they first saw the price of an Amano Liliana when it was like at a thousand dollars, long before it was six thousand dollars, people were bug eyed over the fact that it was a thousand dollars. People were like, "What? I don't get it. Like, that's not even that good of a card." Okay, but that's because you don't know who Amano is, and I feel these are very similar. Like the market for them is going to be very small. It's going to be D and D Magic, D and D slash Magic Whales, <laughs> who probably play edh and that is a fairly narrow slice of their overall market but 
lots of other things have sold to that market on a regular basis. And it, it and it's the argument can be made that Wizards has put a lot of effort into steering the brand towards those people anyway. Um, these the rarity of these promos is a very deliberate move, right? Like they could have just given these to all stores. This didn't need to be premium only. So making it premium only was giving the stores a, you know, a free thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars. Like there's a there's a full set of these on eBay for something like eight grand. It's a lot of money. I I so anyway, my, so anyway my, I, these I I I have no problem with the TMS stuff. It's just it's the everything else that I'm I just don't know who. The D and feel like the D and D people aren't going to care that much, and the Magic players also aren't going to want to fork out a thousand dollars for that card. I'm just having trouble with that. I'm having trouble with that. I'll say this much: if you're going to go after them, pick something that's going to see a ubiquitous amount of EDH play. That's why I'm talking about things like Circle of Dreams, Druid, and Treasure Vault, because you're basically just playing the rarest version of the card, and that that will hold value over time. You might have trouble getting out of the card. <laughs> but the inventory is so low on these like most of these are somewhere between zero and ten copies posted now if that fills in and there's 30 or 40 or 50 and that slowly fills fills into the market as the word spreads as to what they're posted at it couldn't it's entirely possible that in three months you're going to see a true bottom on these cards that may be more attractive you might see the tmat posted for 425 or something but the alternative possibility is that a lot of these got sucked into collections never to return, given that they were given in a lot of stores, they were given out as prize uh, prizes for coming in and playing and uh, or buying stuff on site. And so it could be true that a lot of these, the good ones, like the top five or ten cards here, are just going to drop to zero and stay there for a long, long time. Uh, well... We could probably soak a good amount of time into this. Uh, I, I, I am unsure exactly how I feel about all of it. How about that? All right. Well, we can check in, in think, on it in a few weeks and see, see how I think the Tiamats are probably good. Everything, uh, it, it gets worse from there for me. I, I haven't bought a single one of these yet, so I have no skin in the game as of yet. But given that the I checked in on the Card Kingdom buy list on the pre-release version of, the, of uh, Amano, Liliana... And it's four grand plus. And I got in on that last summer at a thousand. Yeah, that's pretty nice. And I got it from Card Kingdom. So that was a buy list double up. Like I probably spent $500 on the cards, buy listed them out to CKA for a thousand credit, got the promo at 950. Now they're willing to give me 4,000 credit to get it back. (laughs) Yeah, you can't be too upset about that. Well, it's just got me thinking, right? Like, what's the next? I'm always now thinking, what's the next Amano? Because you can take 60% of what I do every year, throw it out the window, and just just figure out what the Amanos are and have a much simpler process. That's, that, that's going to be a, a tough game to play, right? If you if it was that easy, you wouldn't even bother with the podcast. You would just do that. <laughs> it, it is a tough game to play, but the where we most of the stuff that has come close to being like that has held pretty well. Like, for instance, the Time Warps... Uh, foil mystical archives out of set booster boxes we just sold one for one of the members via our buy list in japan program through pro trader for like i think it was 1100 us or something and the platform in japan took 10 or 15 percent and then there was a like five percent 
buy your fee, blah, 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 blah. But the bottom line is he pulled that card out of a set booster box and got 850 or $900 US for it. That's pretty good payoff. And and those are probably going to go up, right? Because it's going to be like the amount they're going to, they're going to continue to drain. And then as Haruya sells out of them, onesie, twosie to collectors over a period of several months, they're just going to get rare to the point where they'll be forced to increase their buy list to pull them in. Yes. Yeah. It's one of those questions where you just wonder where the, where the ceiling is, right? Like at some point, somebody's probably not paying any more money for these. Uh, well, and that's why I'm for sure. And that's why I'm looking at, you know, exiting on the, uh, a mono S one to Japan for 5,000 us or whatever. And then the pre-release to CK, rack that up as a sweet win and then the question is what am i pushing pushing that into like it's either going to be a sweet piece of beta from card kingdom's inventory or it's going to be trying to figure out whether the ampersands or something similar are worth Just it. all the tmots you can get your hands on i mean right now there's very few to get your hands on so <laughs> anyway moving right along cordial vampire out of modern horizons 1 12 to 18 on the back of vampire hype Lightning Helix, uh, textless version from back in the day, 12 to 18. Uh, it's just a slow, steady drain thing, up 50%. Fire and Ice, this is just non-foil Fire and Ice from Apocalypse, 450 to 7. That's 50, only 55%, but people from back, you know, if you've got old, you know, bulk from that era, you've probably got a bunch of Fire and Ice sitting around that were useless for a long time. And now the card sees constant modern play, so worth dragging them out. Yeah. Got, you got Savage Beating out of Dark Steel, going from 15 to 30 or so for a double up. Uh, it's one of the attack more than one times cards in EDH, and I don't think it's ever seen a reprinting, if I'm not mistaken. No, that is a one one printing only type of deal. Uh, Blade of the Blood Chief. I bought some foils of this in Europe last week, um, basically on the basis that this was a an auto win. Vampires, of course, will be a focus with Crimson Vow. Uh, that's upcoming, you know, two and a half months out. This is a ZNR foil artifact. So, sorry, not ZNR. It's uh, Zendikar, Zendikar uh, original Zendikar block. So, you know, ten years ago, and this is a equipment for vampires. So, these went seven to seventeen. They're probably going to get up to thirty. Would be my guess. And uh, if you can source some at your local store or overseas, you're in good shape. I remember Blade of the Blood Chiefs. I remember when those were basically free. Yep. We got Spellbinder at a Dark Steel going two to five dollars, uh, 150% gains. Uh, one of the latest, uh, the new commanders that people are poking around at uh, can make good use of it. Then we had Golos get banned in EDH this week, and we're going to have a CAG member on shortly. Maybe she'll have some commentary on that. This is probably going to be the so last we, thing she's going to want to talk about. <laughs> I mean, we'll be nicer than most. I'm, I'm just not sure what she's allowed to talk about. The, so Golos is banned. That means five color EDH players are looking for fresh generals. And Joda Archmage Eternal out of Dominaria is a solid alternative. So those foils went from 10 to 26 or so on the Golos banning. Pretty sure I've got a Russian one of those sitting around. So that should be nice for me. Yeah, I, there's a real question of whether that'll work. That seems like a, that's definitely not a, a, a spec people are making on actual demand. It's like, a, well, all the goals players that might buy something to replace Golos. I guess we're going to hope it's this guy. Uh, I don't know. That's quite how that works, but I mean, there's really only two or three options. Like you're, you're either picking Kenrith or this, or maybe Sisse. The, the other option is just, you just ban the deck and put the cards somewhere else. Entirely possible. But the thing about Golos is it's not a heavily themed deck. It's more of a good stuff deck. 
So there's a pretty good chance that you can transition to one of these other generals and just be perfectly happy to continue. Yeah, on. and that's also why I would feel like people would just pull it apart because it's it's not something like cool or interesting. It's just a pile of your useful cards and you can find different homes for those somewhere else. Well, we'll see if I manage to unload a Russian foil. I'll report back. Okay. The uh, I should also point out actually that I sold two foil Golos. I had them posted at 35 before it was banned. I was in at nine. I should have got off the train a ways back. But one of the things that can happen is if you post your inventory as the lowest price somewhere and you have hundreds of listings and you're not using an algorithm to reset your prices, then you can easily get undercut by subsequent postings and just miss your exit. Which is one of the reasons that buy listing can sometimes be, you know, a hot ticket, especially if time is a premium for at a premium for you as it is for me. If I had buy listed the, the foil goloses, I still would have done very well. Um, would have been up 60% or something like that. But strangely enough, I went ahead and knocked 20 bucks off that listing uh, as soon as the announcement was made and sold two at 15 almost immediately. Hmm. So I don't know if they didn't get the memo <laughs> or they just don't they just don't care. I mean, personally, if I was like running an EDH group, which I, I, I typically do with people that definitely don't know that there even is a keg um, and don't pay attention to the quote-unquote official rules at all, I wouldn't even tell them. Like, if somebody brought Golos, I wouldn't even mention that it was banned. Yeah, that, that's or you'd be like, oh, if, if it's a guy who just shows up and plays for fun and doesn't think about it, you'd be like, oh, you know, he was banned, but I don't care that you're playing him. Like, you know, you, you, maybe you do them the, the the favor of just putting it on their radar, but, like, you can play with him, I don't give a shit. Like, the way you play him is not a problem. Just, you know, if you're going to go to a GP. <laughs> but those don't exist, so really it doesn't even matter. Yeah. This is this is the one the one banning they've issued where, for sure, I disagree with it, and not with the logic. Like I think that they are right to have said that the card is so good as a five dollar commander that it dissuades you from pursuing other avenues. I think that's true. I just don't think it matters. Like because the odds of running into Atraxa or. Uh, Yuriko or Golos on any given day with any given playgroup is still so, so low. Right? And even if they spank you with their Golos deck and it does the Golos thing, they probably have another deck that they're going to switch into after they win anyway. You can have a... Like, if someone's bringing the deck, any deck, doesn't matter whether it's Golos or something else, and beating everybody repeatedly with it, there's, it's usually a power level differential thing more than it's anything else. Well, that's a... Uh... That that becomes an argument for not banning any commanders at all because the issue then you're saying the issue isn't the commander it's the people playing the commander and you know someone who who can't play Golos in a fair fun fair way isn't going to play any commander in a fun fair way. What's the three the Sultai commander that anytime any of your stuff is targeted you draw a card or whatever? Uh, are you about Leo, Leovold. Leovold, right? Who was also banned? So I think. Yeah. Yeah, Leo Vold's banned. This is, this is I think, a difference. Like, th this is a different animal. This is a 3-3 three, three for 3. Each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn. That shuts down a shit ton of things that happen in DDH. And then whenever you or a permanent you control becomes the target, you draw a card. So it's just like a massive card adv advantage engine that can turn on as early as turn 2. That's 
I can understand why that card's banned. I don't really have a problem with that banning. Golos is a five mana thing. It can be countered, it can be killed, its effect is expensive. In the late game, with infinite mana, yes, it's basically... It, it's definitely setting a clock, or at least setting the pace in the late game, where if you can't keep up with handling it, yes, it can take over a game. But there's so many ways that that cannot happen, including... The one that always mystifies me that never gets discussed, the team just, the, the rest of the table just gangs up against that person. Like, if you can't, if three of you can't handle something standard that the other person is doing, you're probably not building your decks correctly. <laughs> well, that's, these are, these, because somebody, I'm always amazed, like, in, in, when I watch games at EDH, where, like, nobody has any point removal or a sweeper or a counter spell for turns on end. And I'm like, you built your deck to do your, the thing too much, and you don't have enough answers. Well, that's part of the fun for a lot of people, and I say this as someone who does that sometimes. It's like, I didn't want to build my deck to be efficient. I wanted to amuse myself, and just letting people's crap exist because I want to also do my crap is fine. And I think a lot of people end up building their decks that way, which you could say is wrong, but I think people do it. I I just think EDH decks where EDH games where you have four people that are going through like 20 step turn sequences towards their own like complex infinite combo or whatever are not particularly fun because the other players at the table tune out pretty quickly and they just start asking questions like, are we dead yet? Oh, well, that's a whole other story. Like, I'm not advocating that. It's more like if I'm playing a human themed EDH deck. I might not be worrying about putting too much spot removal and artifact enchantment beyond what the deck is naturally inclined to do uh, because I want to play cool humans. And it's not about setting up a, a, a 20 action infinite combo turn. It's just more like I want to put cool stuff in my deck. And uh, if I'm playing Path of Exile and Day of Judgment and a bunch of artifact removal, mm-hmm. I don't get to play those cards. So. See, I'm I'm always I always put 15 slots aside for point point removal sweepers and answers. I, I'm not like no no matter what no matter what my theme is, I will detune the theme to make sure that I can contribute to causing uh, tension at the table. I what's it interesting to me like the EDH game I want to play is where things swing back and forth based on a mixture of the call and answer of threats being presented and dealt with and politics and then i want a little bit of chaos mixed in there so there's some fun like fun and funny moments where unexpected things happen and then i don't give a shit who wins the game like i don't play edh to win right and i i I mean i i'm not saying that putting 15 slots aside for like these are the spells that i'm going to use to control the gameplay is a bad idea i'm saying i'm not sure that most people do that Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Anyway, I'm sure Ellie will have uh, on-point commentary on this topic. So moving right along, we've got uh, Curse of Misfortunes and Curse of Vengeance out of uh, uh, Dark Ascension and Commander 2016, respectively. Curse of Misfortunes, $1 to $3 on the back of Lind, which is the new curse-focused commander that people are poking around at from uh, Midnight Hunt. Curse of Vengeance is uh, a non-foil from the Commander set, as I said. $4 to 18 on that one, because it's a little older and a little harder to come by than some of the newer curses. And that's up 350%. Then you got Dragonstorm Foils out of Time Spiral. Not Time Spiral Remastered, but Time Spiral. 
three and a half dollars to sixteen on the back of Tiamat, almost certainly. We got Catalyst, Catalyst Stone foils, uh, non foils out of Odyssey going two to eleven on the back of Lear. Uh, Lear is the uh, new mythic out of Midnight Hunt that gives all your stuff flashback, and Catalyst Stone makes flashback stuff cost two less. So auto include in that deck. And then on the Lind track, we've got Curse of Bloodletting Foils from 3 to 22. I definitely picked up a smattering of these older foil rare curses in Europe, um, looking to exit on them before over the next two months or so, because I think this is one of those situations where if you don't exit on the curses at the right time, you're going to get stuck holding them till the next time this comes oh, around. Oh, for sure, for sure. And then the other card that was unbanned in EDH was Worldfire, which basically puts, the, puts everybody at one life, and makes the game a little bit of a flicking contest. Yeah, I actually kind of like... I think this card is amusing. Um, I, I have been frustrated with some of the other big mana spells, like Insurrection and stuff like that in the past, because there's such a, a simple I win button. But I find Worldfire kind of funny, because unless you do a bunch of setup for it, uh, it's not an I win button. It's a somebody wins button. Um, and kind of gives you a more fascinating end to the game. Uh I don't think Worldfire is going to end up being all that popular. Um, I think, you know, you've got this price spike because everyone went and snagged the copy, myself included. Um, but I, I can see this settling in like the $7 range probably. I mean, it went 2 to 28 in theory. It's a sell, 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 yeah. sell. Anywhere anywhere over 20. Yeah. The, the thing that's weird to me here, and I don't again, I don't know if Ellie is going to be able to comment, but I just don't get how the, either of these topics were even remotely on their agenda. Well, I presume that I would imagine that every time they have a meeting, they talk about, okay, well, what are the most, what are the top commanders right now, right? Like we should be looking at that. And also we should review the ban list every time. Like those seem like two very present topics that you would keep coming back to. You don't think? Like EDH rec, I, for sure. I just think that if you structure your conversation like that, you, you will tend to come to conclusions because the structure of the conversation is such that it makes you feel like you're supposed to have you're supposed to take action well like if you have a meeting every week where it's like which hole do we dig in the backyard you're probably going to end up digging a hole (laughs) but you still have to ask yourself the question do we actually need to book a meeting about holes in the backyard like did anybody on the street say that there was missing holes in the backyard or are we just arguing the semantics of right or left your family's meetings are much weirder than my family's meetings Point being, I, I don't think there's anything wrong. I, I think that this is a bad precedent. The, these are weird bannings and unbannings to me. I, I think unbanning a card that isn't going to matter much is fine. I'm just not sure why it felt like a priority to them since nobody... If we agree that it's not a big deal and nobody cares, then why unban it? It's not like there's a bunch of people like knocking at the door asking to use the card. Well, there's I think there's a lot of adherence, and this isn't just in EDH, this is in every format, where... You know, if you can't justify a card's inclusion on the ban list at any time, it should just be removed. And it doesn't really matter how eager people are to take it off. It's just if it doesn't belong there, take it off. Who cares if it's not good? Um, And they might have just decided that was the case with Worldfire. Like, yeah, like we don't expect anyone to be passionate about playing this card for the most part. But it's there. It doesn't need to be. We should get rid of it. Simplifies things. I I certainly agree that considering unbannings is more important than bannings well bannings i think are done with a a harder decision you know that it's probably it's especially when you're talking about a very popular commander it's uh it's a hard thing to do i think because you know you're going to ruin a bunch of people's decks 
It's actually hard to talk about Golos in any kind of statistical context now because EDH Rec has basically removed it from the top commanders the last two. You years, know, I right? was looking at it and I didn't see, and I, it didn't click. But now that you say that, that is that makes sense. Then that's why I didn't see him pop up. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know uh, what's funny about Worldfire? I uh, I bought a couple as soon as I was sitting in front of a computer when the news hit. So I just picked up my phone and started throwing copies into my cart. Uh, and I had a, I'm not going to blow in anybody, but I did have a, uh, uh, pro trader who messaged me, who I had apparently bought from, who couldn't fulfill the order. <laughs> but oh, you should totally, you should absolutely ping them in the, in the discord. That's naughty behavior. Well, so he, he reached out to me and said, Hey, you bought this, but I can only find part of the order. And, uh, I was like, don't worry about it. Just keep them both. I don't really care. Not a big deal. I, I, as someone who very, very, very frequently has just random orders that I can't find the other damn copy, uh, I totally get it. So I wasn't that upset about it. And he was willing I, to send me the one for free. And I'm like, I, I just keep them both. That doesn't matter. I have, you know, if you have big enough inventory and you're a busy enough person and your system is good but not great for managing your inventory, You are, and you sell hundreds of times a year, you are going to have days where you just can't pull the inventory. When that inventory can't be pulled on the same day that's the, that card in question gets unbanned, <laughs> that's a higher a higher uh, hurdle to convince me that it's a coincidence. Well, he, the, the, the invitation here was, uh, I can only find one, but I will send you that one for free. And okay. I was like, I, I don't care that much. You can just keep it right like so very kind very kind yeah if 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 it was not such a cordial message it might have been a different story sure moving on to top magic online movers of the week we got ninja of the deep hours from uh, betrayers of kamigawa going from two and a quarter tickets to three and three quarters tickets about 65 percent gains there three things going on there probably ninja's hype uh, heading into Kamigawa next winter. That's the first set of 2022. Yuriko is a top EDH commander that now has uh, less competition because Golos got knocked out of the top five. And Popper uh, makes use of the Ninja of the Deep Hours on a fairly regular basis. Okay. Yeah, I can see those. It makes sense. You've got mono red decks, mid-range decks running around in modern that are making use of Scred again lately. Just a smattering from what I've seen. But apparently enough to move it from two tickets to over three tickets. Uh, 70% gains there. Got Ancestral Mask. I think that's a either a common or an uncommon out of Eternal Masters. Going from two tickets to four and a quarter tickets. Almost 100% gains. Apparently on the back of Sithis EDH. Um, Sithis being the enchantment-focused commander from MH2. Oh, yeah. And, that, and then Red Elemental Blast out of M25. Going from two and... And uh, 0.37 tickets to 4.12, 73% gains there on the back of probably Legacy and EDH play combined. But I am curious whether it, it fell out of treasure chests or something, because it just seems like Reb's moving is a, is an odd move. Have to check in with Oko on that one. Yeah, not the type of card you would anticipate seeing show up, but uh, I don't know. I guess. Sure. Why not? Maybe. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to, I know better. I should know better than the comment on the MTGO market. <laughs> All right. So moving right along to our cards to wash this week, I'll start off with uh, a class of cards that have been slowly, steadily draining out ever since we were originally calling the best of them 
and I'm referring to the Battle for Zendikar Expeditions. In particular, I'm looking at the filter lands, and it appear, occurred to me that calling out Feated Heath was probably a pretty safe bet in the mid to long term, given where things are at. This card has appeared originally in Eventide, Masters 25, and Double Masters, but didn't get a premium printing in Double Masters, and only has the Expeditions as the fanciest printing. Art, art on the card is pretty nice, actually. Um, really matches well with the frame. And we're down to 12 listings on TCG Player in the low to mid 40s. Seems pretty likely to me that these are going to end up being 80 to $100 given enough time. So let's make the call 42 to 70 for 67% gains. It's not a big modern card per se, but it's in 17,000 EDH rec decks. And again, it's the most premium version of the card available. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen Fetid Heaths for quite some time. Um it's a good copy of the card. It's solid in EDH. Uh, people don't trip over themselves to play it, but definitely the filter lands are great. Honestly, the filter lands are probably underplayed, truth be told. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think I wonder if it's just a case of a lot of people not really realizing they're there, especially in newer players, uh, because they haven't seen that you wouldn't really notice it unless you went looking for it. But the expeditions have real slowly been making progress here. Um, there's definitely feels like at some point and it could be either two months from now or two years from now or six years from now someone will finally go through and clean out a lot of the expeditions that that hasn't happened with yet uh and especially anything that hasn't gotten another premium version will will do well in that scenario we've seen it happen all over the place with some various stuff again the expeditions no one's gone after quite the same way yet but it seems like the writing's on the wall eventually and I'd also point out that we have Double Masters 2 next summer, and if these hadn't appeared in Double Masters 1, I would be saying, oh, for sure they're going to show up in Double Masters 2. But given that they get, just gave them to us a year ago in Double Masters, they're probably safe in Double Masters 2. There's a bunch of other land cycles they've got to get around to that have been out of print for a while. They, so They do seem to print land cycles faster than they reprint land cycles. Oh, yeah. And especially since they keep adding new land cycles unnecessarily. Like, I was surprised that this Innistrad land cycle was a new land cycle instead of a reprint um, that fills a very narrow sliver of demand. So, bottom line, I don't see anything specific in terms of a risk in the next year for the filter lands. It is, I don't think it's impossible that filter lands are put into standard, however. No, I, the filter lands are not inherently um, busted, so that's certainly plausible. And I think... I don't think we know the color schemas for Kamigawa, but we do know them for... We know that it's a shard set for the uh, New Capelli or whatever it's called, the Italian mobster planet. Yeah, uh, Italian Ravnica. Um, yeah, so the, probably Trilands there would be the the default assumption. Uh, yeah, if they... Re well, I mean... Sh yeah, I mean, like, fetches were in cons, right? Which was a, a three color set. True, that's so, true. They they'll only give you Trilands if they but, really but, want you to do fix the mana. But when they gave you those, RTR had just come out with shocks, so they were servicing the three color needs via vis a vis shocks plus that's true in standard. This is true. And and the other thing is, if I'm not mistaken, the Triland triomes from. Uh, 
Ikoria, there's alternate like we're missing ca- missing cards, right? Like there's no Grixis Triome. Uh, it is. I would have to go back and double check, but that is quite possible. So we could so we could get Triomes on New Capelli. Mm. I suppose you could get the you, they could complete the cycle. That seems reasonable. A reasonable assumption, yeah. All right. So anyway, feed it Heath. What's your next your first selection? Uh, I'm going to start the week with uh, Rishkar's Expertise, a card that nobody is on nobody's radar whatsoever. Uh, but this is in 27,000 EDH Rock decks. I was surprised at how popular this was because I never really hear anyone talk about it. But it is uh, people like to play this card. Rishkar's Expertise is the uh, from Kaladesh. It's the green sorcery. You draw cards equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. And then you cast a card with converted mana cost five or less from your hand for free. Um, and Rishkar is a six mana. So for six mana, you're probably drawing somewhere between three and God knows how many cards. And also then casting a five mana spell for free. Uh, I hope you cast a Cascade spell at five with it and just get all the free spells off of this. Um, but remarkably popular, 23,000 decks. Only uh, one printing, uh, I believe. The uh, Aether Revolt printing there along had the... It was in the... Sorry, it was in the Commander product for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, but non-foils. And then there was a pre-release. So not a lot of inventory out there for the foils, which is what I'm looking at. I probably should have mentioned that. Uh, so 20,000... 27,000 decks, 9% of all green decks, 10% of all green decks play this card. There's only 20 vendors with copies here. Um, there's no wall. Like, no one has a bunch of them. Uh, it's showing up in werewolves, so there's a little bit of extra demand here, but that's not a major factor of it. Um, and, you you know, we're, you're probably not going to see another preprint of this. Rishkar is, I believe, a Kaladesh character. <coughs> so... They can't really print this in a standard set without going back to Kaladesh, most likely. Uh, the pack foils are not like super premium, but they're the best version you're going to get, and you can get them at about ten to eleven dollars right now. And given how popular this is, and the supply is waning, I see these being twenty, twenty-five bucks probably this year, uh, September, um, first quarter next year. I'm pretty sure I've had some of these foils at four dollars for a few years now. They're one of those things that were kind of a slow, steady gainer that was always going to get there, but it was always going to take a while. Um, so yeah, I think, I think this is fine as an entry point. We probably called this out at half the price two or three years ago and now is getting while the getting is good because the ramp is getting pretty steep. Yeah. All right. My next selection is, uh, discord was talking about how wandering archaic, uh, which I flagged early on for Strixhaven as being one of the key EDH cards along with pretty much everybody else that was looking at it. Um, does indeed still look like it's the the mo- one of the most important cards in the set for that format. Ten and a half thousand decks reported on EDH rack, which is six percent of all possible decks. This card's likely safe from a, from a reprint for a while. A, it's te- technically still in print um, and will be for better part of a year and a half. Um, so they don't really have any reason to be printing it anywhere, especially since it hasn't showed up in standard. So even in something like a challenger deck, it's probably going to dodge that. Leads me to believe that the foil extended arts that are currently at $20, which is about double what I generally want to be getting in on something like this at. And there were copies available in the $12 to $16 range earlier in the summer, but these are getting relatively, uh, you know, scarce versus where they were before. About half the inventory's dropped out. 
I think getting in at 20 and planning to get off the train in 12 to 16 months at 40 is probably right where you want to be. And your, your worst case scenario with this card is you're just going to run it, <laughs> which is things could be a lot worse. Yeah, Wandering Archaic was a very um, obvious card and has continued to be an obvious card. Uh, the the price point was always like it never got cheap enough where I felt like I could buy as many as I wanted to so I, I didn't end up buying any but it feels like any price point this year is probably a safe price for any of them because it's just remarkably popular we're down to 73 near mint listings so under that kind of starting to pay attention at under 100 listings and no major walls. There's no there's no gaming company wall of 600 of these or whatever. You can only pull the foils out of the Strixhaven collector booster boxes and the odds of hitting one are relatively low um, as a foil uh, rare extended art. So I think the timeline's about right on these. It's gonna take some time for these to drain out, but if you look at the, uh, the sales pattern you know, you're selling a handful of foils a week and point of resupply is going to be relatively low. So year to a year and a half, these are probably good for a double up. Sure, I can get behind that. I, I really should pick some up. I should pick some up. Um, All right, what's your second pick? Yeah, my other two this week are uh, a little less enthusiastic than I normally am, but I don't think they're bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, this one is probably slightly more speculative than I normally dabble into, but it really caught my eye, which is Alrin's Epiphany. This is the uh, the seven mana time walk from Kaldheim. So Alrin's Epiphany is seven mana, create two one one birds with flying, take an extra turn, exile it, and it has foretell as well. So you can foretell it for two earlier in the game and then cast it for six. Uh, I. I saw some people posting deck lists for post um, standard here, post rotation standard, and I saw Alrin's Epiphany showing up. We all know that Nexus of Fate did pretty well. Now Nexus of Fate's a different card. I'm not claiming this is that card, but expensive time walks do better in standard than you would possibly imagine, and I've already seen some pros talk about it. You also have the EDH play, so it's in several thousand EDH rec decks so far, which is not a huge amount by any stretch of the imagination, but clearly people are putting it in their decks um, as they're going to do with time walks. So you've got okay-ish numbers. You've got a, a shot here in standard. And if you're, get, I, I'm looking at the non-foil extended arts specifically because you get a nice cross cross between be, both people who, bu who will buy it to play this card in paper and also people who will buy it for EDH but don't want to deal with the foils. Um, you, know, so you, you get a very high volume on this. So, you know, there's $7 right now and I just don't see it really getting any cheaper because I don't, it's not like that heavily played right now. So you can buy these at seven. You know, if they start showing up in standard and people are picking copies up, they could easily double up. And if not, you're just gonna stick it in your long-term box and wait for EDH to push the price up. Long-term listeners of this cast will not be surprised that I would probably prefer the foil extended art of a mythic. Less than 60 listings of those. They start at $12 instead of six or seven. Uh, gaming company is present, but they only have nine, which is probably the limit of the, the wall size you're going to see from anybody as a result. Um, and the ramp is a little bit steeper 
uh, well, significantly steeper than with the EAs. I worry about something that is standard EDH crossover instead of modern EDH crossover, that anything fancy other than just pack non-foil is unlikely to get much of a standard boost. Especially since we're dealing with a COVID situation where a lot of, in a lot of states, like regular play is probably not all that, not anywhere near what peak play would look like. So... If you don't like it, you don't have to like it. You can say that you're not a fan. It's okay. Well, I think the the thing I have the biggest issue with is that three, anything short of 12 months seems ambitious to me, given where the inventory is at. Well, you're right. And I mean, it's definitely a higher inventory than I normally talk about. The the thinking there is if the card gets good and standard, the price will rise. uh, And the inventory, even though the inventory won't like shift that much, right? Like we don't have to sell through every single $7 copy up to 15 if people are buying it people are going to go raise their prices um which we see with standard cards i mean the the concerns over standard and people actually playing that are very valid but i don't know i feel like i spent the entire pandemic you know the entire period where they actually got people to stay quarantined in their house going why the hell are all of you people buying modern cards when you're not playing in stores but people did it so clearly there's an appetite for these types of cards even if they don't anticipate playing with them in paper right away Fair enough. My final selection this week is Ink Eyes Servant of Oni Foils. Specifically, I'm talking about the Secret Layer version that uh, was uh, about a year and a half ago, I believe, released. If I'm not mistaken, it was either winter of 2021 or winter of 2020. I think it was 2020. Um, The Secret Layer version is down to 28 listings. They started about $21, $22, $23.00. And I suspect these are going to go, say, 25 to 45 in the course of the next 12 months. Because when, once we get to Kamigawa, that hype cycle is anything that is ninja-related is going to sell. And that pool of ninja-related cards is not particularly deep compared to something like zombies or vampires or, or even werewolves. Um, it's in 5,000 decks on EDH Rec. There's a steep ramp, low inventory. And the alternatives are the FTV copy, which hardly anybody likes, but those are already at $15 with 12 listings and a steep ramp up over 20. And the original foils from uh, Betrayers of Kamigawa, there's only one listing near mint for those on TCG, and they start at 75. Um, the art is definitely coolest uh, on the... Um, well, I don't know if I agree with that, actually. I think the Secret Layer art is cool. I think the original art is fine. I think the pre-release promo version is the ugliest of the three. Um, but given that this ninjutsus a creature from your opponent's graveyard into play under your control, any amount of ninja EDH action is going to help drive this. And the beauty of this one is you're not even guessing that you're going to get a good ninja commander, although you almost certainly will out of the Kamigawa set. You already have Yuriko in the top five, and this is already an auto-included Yuriko decks. So anything to give us bonus out of Kamigawa is just gravy. Yeah, uh, I mean the fact that you're getting a guaranteed dump of ninjas here in the near future, and this is a good price on. I, I would probably give it credit for being close to the best art, um, and you're getting the foils here. And you're absolutely right that the the bench of ninjas is shallow, right? There's just not a lot to draw from. Uh, and so this is almost, this is going to end up in every single ninja deck that you play regardless. It's probably just going to push people into Yuriko. You almost wonder, 
And it just makes me wonder if I'm supposed to go by Yuriko's at this point, because even if, even if they don't print a better ninja commander, Yuriko is still going to end up in the 99. Now all I want to do is look at Yuriko. Well, you've got the foil etched out of the Commander Legends. Yeah. And the foil etched is currently sitting at about 10 bucks. Uh, and I think if you filter down to near mint, you're talking more like 60 listings. Yeah, under 60 listings, sitting at around $10. My guess is foil etched Yurikos are probably going to be 10 to 20 There's some, yeah, there's some walls, but they're all the way up at $18 on those. I wonder, I almost wonder if you're better off going with uh, just the absolute cheapest version and just trying to get enough volume on those. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to steal your uh, your talking point here. No, it's totally valid. We're flagging yet another opportunity, right? Judge, I, judge, I will judge foils in here too, the pack foils. We know we like judges. Judge, I, I can't. I can't. Can confirm that Year of the Rat was uh, in January of 2020. So these are a year and a half old. That's pretty old. For a secret layer, very old. Yeah, I mean, there's not even there's 72 vendors for just the the basic copy of it. There's a guy with 20 copies. There's probably a couple, another wall or two in here. I don't know, buying these, buying the normal copies at four to five, I think of Yuriko is probably the right pick. I'm going to, so I'm going to cut this part of the cast out and then make this my pick next week. <laughs> Go right I'm ahead. actually going to do that, but don't be surprised if I, I don't know. I'm not actually going to do that. Free pick. For All right. Your, fin- your, your final selection. Uh, Yuriko. <laughs> uh, other, other than that, uh, Sigarda, Heron's Grace, the non-foils, um, or I'm sorry, the foils, that's supposed to say foil, are $4 right now. Uh, it's not in a lot. Cigar to Heron's Grace is not in a lot of EDA track docs. Absolutely not. Uh, but we are getting a new human commander that's going to play very, very well with this. That is Kyler, Sigardian Emissary. Uh, and he's really... Everyone who builds Kyler is going to put Sigarda in there. And the important thing here is that there is only 12 vendors with foil Sigardas, 23 copies. If you're grabbing these at four or five bucks, I think um quarter one quarter two next year you'll be able to sell them for probably a good double up just because people are going to be putting that human commander together he's pretty nifty looking uh and they're going to want to go get cigars and the numbers are, are decent in terms of volume on that uh sell through i should say yep i can buy that so our pro trader selection of the week in cards to watch is from our uh discord uh super mod nihilus uh he flags bloodline keeper and he's flagging the non-foils from Innistrad in zero to six months, given the existing uh, that we're running right into vampire hunt hype here in the late fall. Um, buy price can get currently get them around fourteen. He's thinking there's going to be a high twenties, low thirties kind of exit. So call it four, fourteen to thirty, hundred percent plus gains. It's in five thousand EDH rec decks so far. It's draining out. There's an FTV foil option that I think is worth a look. Um, because the thing about FTV foils is everybody's like, ew, they curl, but not when they're DFCs, they don't, because then they are, they have the same treatment on both sides. So it keeps them stable. That's, you know, that's one of those things that like, I is absolutely true, but for the average player, is that something they're going to be aware of? Like how much is that going to impact their purchasing decision? Cause like you have, you have to know that, right? You have to, you have to know both of those. You have to know both Here's of my those thing. things. Yeah, either you know both of those things or you know none of the above. But yeah, yeah, that's not totally unfair. That's not totally unfair. But the thing is that the there's only two printings of this card, which has surprised me. I thought like for sure it would have showed up in some kind of commander deck, Edgar Markov or something at some point. Nope. It was printed in Innistrad. 
get fourteen or fifteen dollar copies. The From the Vault Transform is the only other printing, and that's uh, foils. The original Innistrad foils are pricey, I would imagine. Huh. I'm gonna guess sixty or seventy, probably. Let me just double check. That seems high, just based on the type of person playing yeah. Bloodline Keeper, not playing foils too much. I'm gonna say list- forty. Three listings: 40, 42, and ninety-eight. Ah, I called it. Um, I did not look that up. Make, I did not look that up. That, was off that the still frame still frames the FTV uh, as a solid alternative option because it's the only cool foil you're going to get um, out of the existing options. Now there is one problem here, and that's that Crimson Vow, unlike Midnight Hunt, has box stoppers. And I would not be at all surprised to see Bloodline Keeper show up in either the Halloween-themed secret layer that I would expect to see, or as a box topper for Crimson Vow. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. Uh, I mean, I think the box topper concern is valid. Uh, I, I'm just looking at whether i like these from 14 to 30 30 means it is like one of the best vampires you can put in your deck right like you're not like 30 dollars for just a a standard copy of the card means that it's got to be one of the best vampires you are going to put in your deck well because when you flip it it gives all vampires plus two plus two and taps to make vamp flying vampires it's uh an auto include in vampire decks for edh yeah, I mean that's very good. I'm not debating that. All right. So I'll I allow it. so I I'll think that it. I think that him flagging non foils is prescient here because even if you're facing cool box topper versions, etc., the cheapest version is still probably original in a Sure, you're you're, you're targeting um, a different market there. Now, if it's in a secret layer, that's different because they, you know, the secret layer one could be five vampires for thirty dollars, and if this is one of them, then you're getting this for six bucks, which is definitely going to run interference against fourteen dollars copies. But <laughs> not really, because we all know the secret layers aren't going to be ready to ship on time. So again, you're you're only worried about what vampires you can sell during St. Patty's Day next year. Yeah, I mean that's a that's slightly weird because people don't build their decks that early. Like we know that the like cards that come out in the fall don't really start to move those cards um, until like a month or two later, right? Like people don't build their decks right away. So they have time for that stuff to show up. See, I would argue it a little differently. I, I think that people are building decks or at least buying cards for decks that they intend to build early on. And we know that because people report you know, the best of the best of the, you know, the top 10 EDH cards from any given set in terms of being reported on EDH rec will tend within a few months to already be up at several thousand, which really means tens of thousands of decks because the ratio of people building decks and buying cards for decks versus people that go out of their way to report things that get p- picked up by EDH rec is pretty is a pretty big ratio. I mean, I've never reported an EDH deck anywhere and I own 12 of them. So the Bloodline Keepers probably squeezes into a nice zone here where there's definitely reprint risk but the non-foil copies may still if you pick them up now and you're selling into early crimson vow hype you can probably just get them sold i wouldn't go super super deep on this stuff but to pick up like four regulars four ftv foils or something seems very reasonable yeah i mean i don't hate it i don't it's not like terrible at all uh i'm, I'm not saying that um i don't know i i i 
Undecided, I should say. Can I be undecided? Is that allowed? You can. Okay. Uh, all right, we can uh, go ahead and track down our friends Jason Ult and Ellie of the Vale and see what they're up to. All right, let's slide on over to topic of the week. We've got our midnight Innistrad Midnight Hunt set review with Commanders-in-Chief Jason E. Alt and Elizabeth Rice, otherwise known as Ellie of the Vale, member of the Commander Advisory Group, the CAG. Uh, Don't I get an AKA? I, uh, I, I mean, I already gave you Commanders-in-Chief and then shared it with Ellie, so here we are. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Well, thank oh, you for having for coming me. back on. <laughs> thank you for co-having mm-hmm. me. So <laughs> you 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 are now the co the co EDH specialist. Even on episodes where it's just you, you're just gonna be the co EDH wow. specialist. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, demotion is always nice. <laughs> I, shouldn't I be able to just show up whenever I want? I, right? I write for the website. Can I just? No, you can invite yourself. No, yeah, invite you myself. You know, you, you never do. But you Maybe I could. should. The, yeah, I don't. I don't think your listeners want to hear from me. That's why I'm very self conscious. Well, I mean, I'm sure our listeners are dying to hear like what Ellie thinks now that she's had a year plus of access to our dirty little secrets inside the Pro Trader Discord. But the 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 the, the, the joke's on them because she doesn't pay attention to anything we do in there. So <laughs> wait, do not call me out like that. Wait a minute. Wait a so, minute. Wait a minute. So wait a minute. All, what I want to know all is the, like, all the super black box activity. This feels like a setup. Yeah. <laughs> this feels like a setup. Don't don't worry, because he complains that I don't pay enough attention I to the Discord. I do look in the Discord. Either, so. I do look in the Discord. I was up in the Discord paying attention when the Japanese alt art. The, the, stuff the community was sent sent her into the um, Matrix and she just kicked back, got a martini, <laughs> did some other shit. That's true. Oh, Jason, what'd you think of that trailer? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. It seemed a lot like M. Night Shyamalan's The Matrix, right? <laughs> like, it, it reminded me a lot of the, the trailer for the, you remember Unbreakable? Well, now here's the, the Breakable, the, the sequel. The, the secret is Neo's been dead the whole time. <laughs> Just the whole, like, uh, oh, I had a dream that I did the Matrix stuff. And they're like, what if it wasn't a dream? I see virtual Mr. people. Anderson. I don't but know, it, man. It's too. It's too. It's too. <laughs> I was. I like too obvious t- to be a twist, though. Like it's that. It, like the twist isn't part of the story because you already know that all of that crap happened. I know. They just. They. They're like, what if we showed them three minutes of exposition? And I was like, is there a pill I can take where I get to see a different trailer? <laughs> I, 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 I'm. I'm jazzed. I'm looking forward. I'm gonna to go just... see the stupid thing. That's you should have opened. It's like, are you gonna see it, Jason? Yeah. Well, now critique the trailer. Uh, they could have made such a bad movie that I would see. I saw Matrix Revolutions. This cannot be worse than that. I, I like all three Matrixes. I, I like all three matrices also. I like Matrix One. I like Matrix Two, and I like Wait. the Animatrix. That is all three that I know. An- Animatrix is pretty sweet. I got to give you that. Uh, did you have a comment, Elliot? It sounded like you wanted the. Oh, I was I was sad that he did the matrices joke. Uh, I was going to do that. Isn't it, but um, it, so I felt wrong. But if you're talking about matrix, if you're if it's multiple of the movie The Matrix, isn't it matrices and not matrices? Uh, I have decided that it's matrices, and I will not be taking any further okay. questions. At this That's time. A, such a CAG response. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you're I the only person the on the CAG who didn't individually tweet like I don't agree with any of these decisions. I'm like, well, what do you say y- you do then? 
Ellie's like, Ellie didn't even bother to post an opinion. She just posted Sheldon's address. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> beeper, beeper number, Listen, phone number. I don't cell, think Sheldon emails. cares about being docs. He's like, I beat cancer. I could beat a couple no, incels. True. <laughs> I mean, I definitely was not. Uh, I, 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 I'm probably never going to be the CAG member that's like fist on the table. This is my opinion on Twitter because it's it's the worst medium for that. And I don't. I don't give a shit what most people think about uh, I, I don't give a shit about like engaging on Twitter about this course I'm happy to do it on stream or in a podcast or in a different format but if I get on Twitter to shit post and if you don't like that then you can that, you can go find some other account there are other CAG members for you to that follow is pre- that is not my that problem that is precisely the use of Twitter shotting into the void <laughs> And just po- just just post and and yeah. you know ignore your DMs, ignore your comments, and just just, just yeah. yell. Yeah, yeah. I know how to lock my replies. I don't. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, there's some things I think is funny. Like I think uh, I I will t- forever just think it's really funny when people talk about how um, they think wizards should take control of commander uh, rather than the, than the RC. And I'm like, so you want the people who caused the problems in the first place? who literally make the problem cards in the first place to take control of the format. And these are the same people that you feel can't run any other format. I only know two things. That's what you think is the best. Wizards is ruining magic and they should be in charge of commander. Yes, exactly. I'm like, these dots are on top of each other. You don't even have to connect them. They are making out. They are French. They are scissoring. They are doing all sorts of things to each other. Can, can, we also, right there, can we also can we also expose that in late stage capitalist <laughs> version of magic where we're getting nothing but premium product con- in a constant stream of previews they have every re- yeah. every reason to be motivated to turn commander into a rotating format that rotates every 3 months <laughs> these these oh, yeah. these are the decks this season yes. Also, before we get too also, far, sorry, before we get too far away from this, if you had asked me if having Jason on the cast five times would have led to us having a R-rated version, I would have said yes. And if you'd asked me if Ellie was going to do it in the first six minutes of showing up for this episode, oh, because I, I said I would have said probably not. <laughs> I am such a professional when I come on this cast. I'm However, so sorry. I did matter. just get done it doing really Brainstorm Brewery. I drank yeah. three beers and I went on a rant about how my uh, 401k is bullets because of the coming climate apocalypse. So <laughs> it's going to be a slightly different appearance tonight. So I'm glad Ellie is here to take the blame for when this inevitably derails multiple times. I mean, I've only had a bottle of wine. I'm fine. Well, we, we recorded our uh, Innistrad set review. It is a triple X episode. Uh, they are want to be for some reason. All right. So for for the record, to Listen. whatever degree you're comfortable revealing your thoughts on the matter. Yeah. Worldfire's unbanned. Yeah. Golos is banned. You got three yeah. minutes on the pulpit to explain yeah. yourself. Go. Oh, and remember to okay. talk about rule ten. That matters to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So rule ten. Uh. Was redundant. I was actually um fine leaving rule ten. Um. Or at least. Uh, adding something to rule one that basically says like t- to something to the effect like your commander still has to follow the legend rule for the sake of confusion uh, I was overruled on that and that's fine uh, uh, I will say uh, the the world fire um, didn't see that one coming that was not discussed uh, that is not me hmm. <laughs> I had nothing to do there that was not a thing that was a uh, uh, both of the both Golos and the world fire um 
from my perspective, feel like things that the RC individually have been thinking about and talking about amongst themselves for a while, uh, rather than this was something really dissected in the forum that we are given. Um, so there's that. Because um, in my opinion, with Worldfire at least, to me it doesn't add anything to the format to have it, so it's kind of like, well, what's the point of unbanning it? Um so, but, but, you know, whatever. Um, Golos is trickier. Uh, I was not for Golos to be banned at this time. Not because I don't think it's a card that's a problem. I do think it's a problematic card. I do think it's a badly, it's a poorly, it's a poorly designed card that's bad for Commander in some subtle ways. Uh, but I think that those ways are so subtle, it's really hard for the general populace to understand those things. And so it's almost, for me, it, it, uh, it's, it's not really, it wasn't worth the headache to just ban it. Um, I would have rather just stayed the course of encouraging people to play niche commanders and to, um, and then to discuss with Watsi to not do this again. Um... But that was this was also a decision much more RC projected than like CAG. Not that not to say that there weren't people in the CAG that uh, weren't for it. I think there was like one or two. Um, but yeah, it's not a good card. I think it is good that it's not in the format. I just think it's hard for most people to understand why that would be. Um, and it's in a gray area where it's like, this card is badly designed. You don't want to have a commander like this that kind of gets around the color wheel and deck restrictions and creates its own format, essentially. Um, but at the same time, it's not like it's super unfun for most players, uh, or unfun. It doesn't really hit that line for a lot of people, and it doesn't really hit that line in terms of power either. So I get the, I get the frustration. I get the complaints. I encourage people to get on to, 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 to use rule zero. And I think unlike cards with, let's say, Leovold, for example, <laughs> I think your most pods will be more than, will be fine if you just keep Golos as it is. You know, like if you want to, I think. I love how this part, is playing out as a perfect confirmation of everything I said earlier in the cast when Ellie wasn't around to hear, to listen to me. Because uh, <laughs> I, I actually, I actually made the oh, exact excellent. same Leovold point to Travis earlier about how. Yeah. That's just a different animal entirely because were we recording yeah, during I, that or was that before we recorded? I think it was during recording. The I don't even remember. Yeah, well, I, I made the same so. point that Leovold <laughs> shuts down so much of what your opponents are doing and gives you such a card advantage engine. Right. And it's so cheap to set up and defend that it's a much more problematic mm-hmm. card. I agree that Hull Breacher is in is in similar territory. Can we put right, to bed yeah. the 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 conception that uh, the the RC they're all a bunch of salty crybabies and they can't handle stuff? You know who the only person no, in Magic: The Gathering history who has ever hallbreached me on camera is Sheldon Mennery. <laughs> <laughs> the only person who has ever put yeah. a Leovold on felt in a game with me at a GP, Sheldon Mennery. So yeah, they play with these cards. They play with these. They cards. like these. They Sheldon do. likes this kind of crap. All right. So like yeah. the conception that Sheldon like personally got beaten by a coalition victory and went never again. It's silly and it's incorrect. And Sheldon is just the spikiest person. But 
also feels right. a responsibility to the format for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So take, you know, yeah, read into I, that I what you will. Like, but like, I'm just, I'm just sick sure. of everybody like, man, the RC, they can't handle good cards. I'm like, mm. that's not, that's not what it is. A lot of the times, um, I, in my, in my experience and with knowing them, they will play the cards. Like they'll, they play these cards and it's, it's sometimes their own play where they catch themselves doing problematic things where it's like, Oh yeah, I've just built this mono blue commander. Yeah. I might as well put goals in it. Yeah, sure. Seems good. And that's, that's, you know, for them, that's the flag. That's that, that is, a, and that is a red flag. Um, you know, you shouldn't necessarily be doing that. Um, didn't they say that that Golos had a yellow flag like months ago? Like, didn't they warn us that they were yes. looking at uh, Chulain, um, mm-hmm. the dragon guy, not Prosh, the other one, Korvald. Uh, Korvald. They were looking at Chulain, Korvald, yeah. and Golos. Like, they said that months ago, and everyone's like, ah, I'm so surprised that they did the thing they said they were going to maybe do. Right. I mean, it's definitely tough. Yeah, yeah. Those are all things that, I mean, we don't have a, I will go ahead on on the record. There is no watch list. There's no thing that we're like, that's not how stuff happens. So if I'm mentioning a card, don't assume it's because I have some insider knowledge because that's not how it works. Apparently you don't get consulted on this stuff. Didn't we tell you that's why we had you on so that we could just be like, ah, anything Ellie mentions, that's uh, sell your copies. Yeah. No, no, no. I just, I just don't want, I didn't want anybody to get the wrong idea. But yeah, there are some cards. And honestly, I, I think if you play Commander, you, you know, right? Like, like Hull Breacher, you played with a card, you know. There's some cards where you know. Golos is a little bit less for that. Um, but uh, yeah, so there, there's, there's always cards where it's like you kind of keep an eye out and you're trying to see what, if people fix it themselves or don't. Like, with Turgrid, uh, this is a crappy, for a lot of people, that's a crappy card to play against. This is a crappy card to play against. But one of the reasons why it's not necessarily on the chopping block, or at least for this time around, was that, for the most part, people will relegate that out of their pods on their own because it's unfun. Golos isn't necessarily like that because, in my opinion, it's not so unfun that people relegate that out of their deck choices and building in their pods, which makes it a little bit more pernicious and, and subtle and a little dangerous. Um, so there's some differences there. When you think, when you, when you ask yourself, why are some cards banned and some cards aren't you trust me, we're all talking about this behind the scenes and, and sorting that out. And some of it has to do with the decisions that you yourselves as players are making on your own. And, you know, we can trust you to do that. And then also, by the way, side note, sometimes you just have to tell wizards, don't, don't do this anymore. Stop it. <laughs> and you have to mean it because if you give them an inch, they will take like, you know, your firstborn children. I like, of course, I mean, the, the, the ironic part so, here yeah. is that wizards <laughs> loves when cards get banned because it makes people buy different cards. Fair. But like, also it means in, in our case, it's like, well, we really do mean it. Like, don't make cards like this anymore. And this is how we drive that point home. All right. So, um, not that disbanding was totally directed at this, that, but that's my that's my spiel. I hope that I hope that. Uh, helps. This, what was the is... timeline for them printing Lutry and then inviting Sheldon to work on Commander sets? <laughs> did those things happen within a couple weeks of each other? It's it seemed I like it did. They were like, "Hey, here's this card. It goes they in every blue red EDH deck. That's good, right? You like that?" 
<laughs> yeah, it was something like that. I, I I am shocked that there is, and I I, <clears throat> I would be shocked if wizards took any commentary from the CAG seriously. They do well. They well they don't. I, right? I assume they give you the lip CAG service. But the CAG doesn't talk to them, but the RC themselves. And they do actually have, I will say, no, that relationship is solid. Mm. Um, Did the RC ever say, hey, we think. don't need 30 legendary creatures in a set that's going to be forgotten about in three weeks? Because that that's the thing I'd like to, to tell the them. RC. Can you name five <laughs> legendary creatures from Kaldheim? Um, nope. I can name two. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I'm, and they spent no, two years no, doing all that lore for a set that like people talked about for two weeks until the spoilers for the next set came out. Like, it's it's a lot, and it's real fast. Yep, and I'm, they do I'm, a lot I'm, of hard work that out. no one cares about. I'm I'm just imagining some Hasbro exec being like, "Okay, well, you're telling me that this way to play the cards makes the most money. We need to have this many cards relevant to that format to sell packs." And then somebody, mm-hmm. and then you know, Aaron Forsythe or whoever is going, "Well, there's this guy who says we shouldn't print as many because it's not fun." And they're like, well, "Who who's the guy that's telling you this?" And I'm like, "Well, like, what's his position at the company?" Well, he doesn't actually work for Wizards. And then they yell at Forsythe yeah. to get the hell out of their office and print more money. I, mean, I didn't work my that... way up from the mailroom at Haynes. To tell some, you, let some card guy tell me how to make cards, all right? Get out of my office. I mean, you would think that, but I think my my response to that would be, Wizards doesn't control the format of Commander. They don't. So, the, the, so you would be like, yeah, you might not think that guy is important, but that guy gets to decide if our cards see play or not. So, actually, we do kind of have to listen to the, the signals that they're sending. So... I think you're, I'm not saying your reasoning is wrong. I'm saying yeah, that, the Hasbro. I mean, that's my reasoning. Yeah, I'm saying the Hasbro suit's like, uh-huh, make me money. And if he goes, this guy who doesn't work for Wizards is unaccountable to me, is cha- is messing with my format, then maybe we should run it. I don't know. That that's, would be my expectation. But if not, if not the scenario on the ground today, possibly what it will become. I have to imagine yeah, that Wizards... Know, remembers the parable of the goose that laid the golden egg every time they think about taking control of the rc like it's it's not broken yet well and the the other thing is that (laughs) as long as the sum total environment around commander continues to make sell more product they have very little reason to change anything especially given that this is this is a company hasbro not just watsi but hasbro that has a long history of outsourcing pretty much everything in a Nike-like fashion and outsourcing judges and outsourcing tournaments and outsourcing content creation to Twitch streamers and whatever else. They are very much in the business of not doing more work. And the RC is their ability to outsource blame. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. It's like, look, they never have to really be the bad guy, even if sometimes they are the bad guy. They don't have to really take that crap all the crap gets directed at uh people who think that the cag makes the decisions about banning which is not true um and uh the rc so that's it so it's like that's a headache in terms of that's just like a relief from a headache um and like man it's the most popular format in magic for a reason so they'll make cards for it but I think it's in their best it's in the best interest of both parties to kind of to communicate on a on a 
like communicate productively for the format you know thank you for shining some putting some illumination on all that for us ellie she probably these are very coherent thoughts for someone who's had a bottle of wine i'm pretty disappointed to be perfectly oh don't don't you worry baby i got a whole nother bottle right (laughs) next to me don't you worry about a thing uh, these are actually all rehearsed. Oh, okay. um, Sheldon Mennery was actually plugged Just into my brain. Reading the script. Reciting all of that, re- reading that script off to you. Um, oh, is that why you're drinking no, wine? Been, that's such a, yeah. a hint to Sheldon's beverage of choice. Oh, yeah, that's his exactly. thing, isn't no, it? I've been, no, I've been having to talk about this for the past uh, yeah. two days and wanting yeah, so to die. So that we'll I let you get off the cross. <laughs> all right, so let's transition <laughs> over you, to Midnight you. Innistrad Midnight Hunt, the first of two Innistrad sets being released this fall for the first time. They have moved the winter set up to November um, and also have challenged this whole concept of switching worlds every set with a back-to-back uh, Innistrad dose. And not only that, we've got the Innistrad uh, recombination project coming out next winter or spring. It's a little unclear what the release date is, where they're taking the best of both sets and presumably throwing them back at us mm-hmm. in some kind of black-and-white 50s movie-themed uh, frame. I'm expecting the art to all be black-and-white. I guess we'll see how that goes. But for now, we're trying to figure out what are the best cards in Midnight Hunt from a collector slash speculator perspective. And since EDH is pretty much the most important format in the game, we've got uh, Jason and Ellie on here to help us figure things out. I've got a list here of 10 cards that I've threw together and I know everybody's got their own. Um, let's just plow through this and then see what uh, what we think. In no particular order, I'm gonna start off with Unnatural Growth, a rare enchantment, one quadruple green. At the beginning of each combat, double the power and toughness of each creature you control until end of turn. Is anybody else getting a green, fiery emancipation vibe from this thing? This card is pretty, pretty nuts. It's in 13% of all the decks that have been registered containing green since the uh, since the cards were available to be scraped. One in eight uh, decks... That seems like kind of a lot to me. I think this card is going to be very significant. Yeah, this this looks to me exactly like Fire Emancipation, minus that it is a rare and not a mythic. Yeah, that's the killer, right? So I'll be looking at foil that's extended rare. arts somewhere down the road when they're at their, their lows. And the other thing about that recombination set in 2022 is that it potentially doesn't double copies of a lot of these cards but it certainly adds to the overall volume by re-releasing the same things twice in six months i'm man i really hope that doesn't go well and they don't do that again because that, that it's I don't the know. weirdest product in the 2022 mix that's for sure and it's black and white yeah, I'd be super glad if I way. worked hard painting card art for them to be like, well, nah. it being black it? and white is my theory yeah. just based on what the packaging looked like in the reveal, but they haven't actually confirmed that. Well, didn't. Yeah, but there's it, no it, sense it... getting mad at something they haven't done yet. Oh, come on now. That is precisely <laughs> the time you're supposed to get mad about something. Well, we don't you're... know for sure. You know nothing, and it's all speculation. That is exactly the time for this. Do you know what business we're in? Do you know what business? What the business is that we are in? Uh, which is my Twitter account is creation? what I use for that kidding? kind of speculation. I, I don't use podcast <laughs> appearances to show my whole ass. So, so, <laughs> oh well. 
I mentioned scissoring. <laughs> we're already. <laughs> we're already. He uses webcast to show his whole ass. So it is called Innistrad Double Feature, and the block. Wait, and the box is definitely product. black oh. and white. I'll, I'll throw you a picture in chat, Ellie. Oh, perfect. So yeah, my the information I'm gleaning from this is that this is probably black and white since there isn't a spot of color anywhere on the box. That was that. I mean, that was my take on it too. But that's what we were. Looking and so at then here. the issue becomes, you know, what we're talking about in the ProShader Discord is why go in on Foil Extended Arts, say six weeks after release of Midnight Hunt, when you might be getting an even sexier version out of this product, which is going to be to premium, I think, WPN stores only. Like it's not. This isn't an Amazon Walmart product. Uh... This is the okay. mystery booster retail edition replacement slash time spiral remastered ish kind of thing. The thing that's weird to me here is that mm. they didn't just do, if you wanted to do this, why not just do Innistrad remastered? And then you could have, you would have had six sets to draw from. Right? I mean, do we know that they are not including Innistrad? Yeah, because it says starring Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow right on the product. Well, starring, that doesn't mean there aren't other people in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, what I is mean, the I've, Paul Giamatti of this set if it's starring Tom Cruise? Character oh. actress Margot Mar- Mar- Martindale. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, I'm inclined to believe that it is only those two sets, but I would say it has not been explicitly stated that it's exclusive. We have spent a lot of time on a product we don't have any information about. I'm not telling you how to run your podcast <laughs> no, they, because I've been podcasting for a decade, but I will say that we've spent an uncomfortable amount of time saying, well, we don't know what's in this set. Well, but no, but they actually did I, tell us what's in the set. It says, Innistrad Double Feature in the official marketing verbiage says, combine select cards from Innistrad Midnight Hunt and Innistrad Crimson Vow into one unique draft mm-hmm. experience. It features a special art treatment of every card inspired by black and white classical monster movies oh so all of our worst fears are confirmed by a (laughs) press release i'm inclined to think that they probably the the black and white editions of all of those cards will be less popular than the normal pack versions of them so are y'all talking about these hold on um, for the most part, because people want their cards to look cool and colorful. And, and they don't want them and... to look like a first edition Dungeons and Dragons player handbook. Well, yeah. here's the thing. Like, Ellie, I'm imagining you're showing you're trying to show us the showcase cards from Midnight Hunt. Yeah. My assumption. Yeah. Yeah. The ones that are black and white. My, my assumption. Order. My assumption is it's sick. not those. It's the regular, regular art, oh. but with a black and white 50s themed movie frame. And then the art in black and white. Oh, Based on famous 1950s movie series Twilight. Because <laughs> I think the black and white ones with the colored frames are sick. Like, yeah, they, they, there are some really cool sketches. Oh, the, the basics look really Yeah, really the basics good. look really good. Yeah. All those basics, man. Like, that Sigarda Champion of Light, which uh, I'm not saying is on my list, but I'm not not saying it's on my list. Um, that The alt art where it's black and white, that, that, that art is disgusting. That art is so, and I mean that in like a contrary way. Like it's it's very good. Like that art is super cool. Those basic lands very look very nifty. And then someone's gonna sit down with a three color deck in a constructed format. Oh yeah. And you're gonna be like, I, I have no goddamn idea what cards are in front of me. You have nine dryad. Yeah, it's gonna be funny when dryad arbor is the only obviously forest on the on the table. 
Yeah. Yeah. I used to play uh, a copy of Vald in Legacy, so I know what that's like, confusing people. <laughs> All right. But I will say in terms of alterts, I, I don't, obviously I can't say anything about this special combined thing, but I do think the f- the showcase frames, these are probably one of my favorites, all time masterpiece, showcase, whatever, like frames and arts. And I love the black and white one as well. Uh, I have a great so, follow up. Like I have a great follow up to I that want. question based on a debate that was going, has been ongoing in the pro trader discord that I know you probably did not pay attention to. The, um, the, <laughs> Stop the, calling me out. So Stop as it. someone who came to magic in what the last five years, right? Do you, do you care yeah, at all six. about old border foils? Ah, so yes. you think they're cool? Do you, yes. do you think that that is, I prefer old border treatment. Uh, ah. modern do you, but you don't have any nostalgia about it so what you just like the look of it no okay yeah the aesthetic cool. is super nice it's like super good um like when i think of i'll be specific uh just so that i'm we're clear on what we're talking about like when i think about uh like foil basic lands like those arena mm-hmm. promo basics that you know the frame and not the art that's what we're talking well, like about. for instance that they started reprinting in both time spiral remastered and uh, Modern Horizons 2, Old yeah, Border Foil think, fetches, etc. Yeah, yeah. I, li- I like the Old Border. Yeah, I think that stuff is sick. Oh, okay. God, I love it so Th- much. This is an interesting data point, but I will point out that someone who went from never having played Magic six years ago to being on the cat <laughs> might not be the average Magic player. Yeah, I guess I guess zero to enfranchised is is uh, is not necessarily your average player. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. <laughs> This really does feel like an ambush. No, I, I would it, like to just reiterate how much of a setup. They brought me on here to be mad that I'm. Sheldon said I will never be on the CAG very explicitly <laughs> in a Facebook post. <laughs> wait, wait, hold. Uh, all right, I, I don't know which one of these to deal with first. Ellie, <laughs> I, yeah. Ellie, I only made that comment because I I had said earlier that enfranchised players are the only ones who care about old border foils. So it's just yeah. be like, okay, for someone who went this hard on it, it's not that surprising that she might like no, it I more would classify, than normal. I would say I would classify myself as an enfranchised. Yeah, player. You, I just drop like four grand. Yeah, there's no, there's like you're on a podcast talking about magic cards. There's no question that you're enfranchised. Yeah, I'm definitely not yeah. a non-enfranchised. What, so player. I don't know how how newer players what, feel. Like why that. did <laughs> Shelton tell you you won't be on the CAG. I have the dirty stench of MTG Finance on me. Can you imagine someone on the CAG knowing two weeks ago that yeah, World that Fire was going to be on band? Jason owns and, like, 600 World Fires. <laughs> it's like, hey, why did Jason Halt buy all the World Fires? Uh, or, or why did a person who listens to a podcast that has a member on that podcast who is in the Discord of Brainstorm Brewery. Uh, oh, oh, I connected mm-hmm. the dots. Therefore, a CAG member told all his finance buddies about... Yeah, Jason's like, wife owns worldfire.com. Sheldon gets enough shit, he doesn't need that. And also, um, I don't think I have any opinions about EDH that like uh, couldn't be handled by someone like Shivam, who I think is uh, yeah. very smart and capable. And... Um, mm-hmm doesn't have the dirty stench of mtg (laughs) finance on them all right so so like they don't they don't need me at all and uh also don't want me on the keg so good okay okay i don't want to do a thankless job for free but also i don't want to do a thankless job for free uh i salute you ellie it's like jim from the spike feeders is just like hey i'm turning off my twitter for three days uh go debate yourself you nerds and uh yeah i don't i don't want to do that because i i need twitter for shit posting so 
Uh, I will say uh, part of the discussions pre me joining the CAG and in, in our initial like sort of talking about it was like, look, if you expect me to give a shit to give one single sorry i don't actually know how many times oh you can go you can say this is pg-13 so we get one fuck and i just used it and then you can say shit five times all right okay great um so i I, i'm not gonna i'm not i do not expect me to be nice to people do not expect me to because if they do not expect me to like hold anybody's hand or listen to something if i'm not in the mood i'm not gonna do it and they're like yeah that's fine no big deal because I, I was, I was not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I will say I'm pretty privileged in the fact that I don't make commander focused content. Thank freak. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky because I don't think a lot of people are rushing, you know, when they, when they're like, I want to complain to a CAG member, they go to like Shivam or, or Olivia or Jim or something like that. Yeah, Shivam must be out um, here taking all the heat because that he dude is. never stops posting. And I, I don't, I don't know even, if it's 100% CAG related if you ask me. No, it's not. It's just in general. But like, I, I, I just don't like. I'm if it. It all depends on how the person approaches me. I will say that. Uh, but if you come out your neck talking to me, if you, t- I'll, I'm not me, baby. I'm learning all mm-mm. sorts of vocabulary here this evening. You can't be you. You. You can talk to your mama like that. You try Jesus. Try your mama. Not me. And on that note, care. speaking of magical females who give no shits, how about Augur of Autumn? Uh, yes. One double green, two three human druid. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. Oh, wait, you may play lands from list. the top of your library. And coven, as long as you control three or more members of the keg, you may determine which commanders can be cast this turn. <laughs> that was quite a segue. That was a segue. Uh, so this card has got to be like one of the best in the set, right? Like very, very high. Yeah. Like very, yeah. very high. Mm-hmm. This ticks the usual boxes of doing things that other great cards have done, and being. But it does like multiple cards. What yeah, multiple cards do, which is nice. Like Realm Walker and sure. Forcer of Crufix. You like Realm Walker because I've gone on multiple rants about that card. Uh, do I like it from what perspective? The fact that it's a bad Vizier of the Menagerie. Um. I like it fine. Oh, you weren't playing when they printed Vizier the Menagerie. <laughs> no, I was. First of all, you asshole, I was playing. <laughs> so wait, wait, what year was Shadows over Innistrad? Was Ellie even playing during the second Innistrad? Are you kidding? <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Is that okay, true? Wait, I don't actually, actually know if that's true. No, actually, that's really funny. I started playing um, uh, Cons of Tarkir. 2016, so, five years. So you had just no. started Shadows over Innistrad. I had I had just I started playing okay. in twenty fourteen. Okay, okay twenty fourteen. That's Concept seven Turkey years. That's seven the... years. Yeah, yeah right. seven years, seven years. I don't know how to count. I it's I twenty nineteen and twenty twenty I've sort of dumped out of my mind. Well, yeah, it I mean, was just kind of one just really long year where I didn't go anywhere. So yeah, I get it. Right. So, I'm probably also going to dump twenty twenty one out of my mind. It's two years that lasted a week. Right. <laughs> so Augur of Autumn, just generally good green yeah. rare that fits in a whole bunch just of decks. So good and. Yeah, it's so good. There are no good mythics in this set, and all the rares are really good, and that's really mm-hmm. going to be a problem for finance people. We're going to have to figure that let's, out. Let's put, and they're getting uh, reprinted again. Let's put it this too. way: I haven't ordered any of this set yet, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll get to that <laughs> in my wrap up. The so I would go ahead. Sorry, uh, I I would say I would kind of take what uh uh the advice that Jason usually gives, or I think y'all y'all give it to. 
um, in the sense with this set, I'm not really looking so much at cards that are present, like what the cards are printed. I'm just thinking about what okay, does this activate? Older cards or something like that. Because yeah. none of this is going to be worth like uh, trash. Like none of this is going to be worth anything. But if you got um, tombstone stairwells, you did it <laughs> for for a while. I mean, obviously, but yeah, I'm I'm I, you know I would think about older cards. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Augur of Autumn is great. Uh, at least to me, it's a staple. You know, it, so I'll take it. It's kind of like it's it's definitely a I mean a boring and generic card, but people are still going to play the hell out of it, right? Well, that's just yeah. I, yeah. At, at a certain I mean, point, how many that. of these can you like? If I put this in a deck, I probably have to take the Corsair graphics out. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. It's like no, I like cards in, in. Well, I don't like cards like this, but I do like cards like this in the sense that it's like great. You just freed up an extra spot in your deck because. If you play a Realm Walker or Vizier of the Menagerie <laughs> effect or and, and Corsair of Crufex, like you can just not play either and play Augur Bottom. Boom. My, my, Fix. I see, I have a problem with these cards. I, I actually really I loathe these cards because they do yeah. everything really well. And it's right. frustrating. Yeah. And it, I started playing EDH before well, I still say EDH. Like so back That's why then, you'll never be on the CAG, Travis. Yeah. So back then, like you, Oracle of Maldaya was the only damn card that did stuff like that, and it was like yep. you had to find all sorts of wacky ways to solve problems because there weren't thirty Swiss Army knives. So right. stuff like I mean, my personal feelings don't matter in the sense that this card will sell boatloads, but it's just frustrating because I'm like, okay, great, every single color has seventy auto includes and doesn't do anything interesting anymore, but. Yep. And the card is designed to, to sell booster packs. The card is not designed to solve problems in the format. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's that's the thing. But yeah, I think Augur Bottoms is an instant stable. It's on my list. Like, if I was going to order it, it would be number two. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. It would be, like, number one. Yeah, and I, I, there's a constant theme here in the stuff that ended up on my list. It's it's the... Is it all green? the t- wall of text <laughs> utility creatures that are not narrowly defined by a singular theme and are going to find their way into a whole bunch of different lists as a result. Speaking of which, Gisa Glorious yep. Resurrector, two and two black, four oh, four human wizard, so, so two popular tribes right there. If a creature an opponent controls would die, die, exile it, so they don't get to do any graveyard shenanigans. At the beginning of your upkeep, put all creature cards exiled with Gisa onto the battlefield under your control and they gain decayed, which means that they can't block and if it attacks, you sack it at end of combat. Tergresa. I love it. Listen, I am playing snow-covered lands in all of my decks that contain black because of Draugr Necromancer, if that tells you how yeah. I feel about yeah. this card. Mm-hmm. And she, no one's playing her as a commander, right? You're just sticking her in the 99 because uh, she's just a free roll? I, I mean... I'm sticking yeah, I'm thinking about her as a 99 card here, but she's certainly a viable commander. I, I I think if you have a Turgrid deck, you might be more satisfied... You people are more likely to not rule zero your deck off of the table if it's this and not Turgrid. Yeah. Because I while you fair. get their stuff and that feels bad to them, you don't keep their stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Unless you're taking utility creature and planning to never attack with it, which is what you should be doing. We have just people are just going to take Eternal Witness every time and then take back their Torn of Hailfire or whatever and welcome to EDH. Yeah, this pitch. could be another Turgrid for sure. It's, uh, it's very powerful, but as a... I don't think it's as bad on its front as Turgrid is in terms of ba- when I talk about when I say bad in this case, I mean bad in terms of levels of fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's true. You do have to specify you use disgusting as a synonym for good earlier. So 
I know. I'm. I'm. I hope that all of you can really adjust to my loose use of English. I'm yeah, she didn't. She didn't bring her her magic boomer said. dictionary, so she's struggling a little to make sure we understand the terminology. <laughs> now, what is what is Ponza? <laughs> Do you know what what a, do you know what a boat brew is? Oh my god! No, we're not. Ah, I'm withering and yeah, dying over this. here. So, fourth on my list, we've got the first mythic, Lear, disciple of the drowned, which has moved some cardboard already. Three three double blue, three four human wizard. Again, two tribes that matter. Spells can't be countered, so that uh, throws a wrench into other people's decks if they happen to be trying to bring that against you at the table. But the most important text on this is each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard has flashback. The flashback cost is equal to the card's mana cost. That's certainly pretty nice and has already moved things like Catalyst Stone that reduce flashback costs as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this card is not good. Really? Uh, if you look at if yeah. you look at the average deck, if you look at what's moving on EDH rec, this is a very very boring mono blue. I'm not sure if the deck has even a win condition type thing. Like the Catalyst Stone thing was cool, but like mm. this is just another Palancron deck. So me, personally, your uh, win condition is fast as So again, I was looking at this as 99. Like I would just be throwing this into my Grixis Same. and and is it sure. spell based decks just to get some. I think this card okay. is bad. I, yeah, anything that says you can't counter stuff um, yeah, gets a I, look at I, least. I think. I think. I mean. I mean. Yeah, I understand getting a look, and I think it's sec- second wall. The second line of text, like the the flashback stuff, is super. I'm not trying to discount that. I think that's super relevant. But I also think that this is a card that people are going to play, realizes it actually helps their opponents more than it helps them, and then they're not going to want to play it. Because, like, having spells be countered, can you imagine, like, I mean, I don't think you would want to play this a as a commander. A mono blue mage who can't you, counter any spells. Yeah, you don't want to play this as a commander. If you do play it as a commander, you're literally not going to cast it unless you're trying to win, I guess. In which case, I don't understand why you're not just playing uh, Mizzix. Underworld? Yeah, Like, Mizzix or, yeah. like, whatever. I, I don't think it's a commander, so you're playing it in the 99. It's a really hard <laughs> thing to cast without really benefiting the freaking ramp green player at the table. Um, and I could be totally wrong. I, I, I could be totally wrong. Um, I don't think I'm wrong, but <laughs> I, do, I do, I do not think this card is good. I don't think this card is good. I do think, uh, what was that thing that you said? Uh, the, the catalyst stone catalyst stone. I think that's a good pickup. Actually. I do think that's, a I good think pickup. it's a little late to pick. I picked up foils in Europe last week. Well, now they're sure. Now. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do think that was a good pickup, but, uh, yeah, I think this is one of the things where this is not really going to be that fun of a card to play. So in terms of long-term play, I don't you think you're going to get a lot out of it. Uh, because you're going to play it, and, and one of two things is going to happen. Either you're gonna it's going to benefit your opponents more than you, because you can't really interact with what they're doing. And if they're a ramp player, a chaos player, something like that, it's just going to be so much better for them. Well, blue has bounce or, at least, right? Like if you can't counter this stuff, you could bounce it and your bounce you stuff bounce has it. flashback. But like, or it's going to help only you or you enough to where the rest of your opponents are going to hate it and they're going like, to kill it. Just like, no. And then you can't even stop it from killing. You can't even really protect this thing um, with in terms of spells. Ga- so game on. I'm totally bringing um, Lear to the table when I finally play Ellie on stream somewhere. Okay. 
All right. You know I mean, what? isn't we'll isn't up, this we'll isn't this the kind of silly time? niche commander I'm supposed to be playing if I just lost my Golos deck? Uh, I, I wouldn't want to play a layer deck fifth. with no red in it. I really wish that it had red <laughs> or black in its color identity for sure. But my my, re- my read on this was just it would be something you'd slot into the ninety nine in any deck where you were playing more than whatever thirty instants or sorceries. Sure. But uh, if you're saying that you guys don't think that's good, then um, no, I don't. I, I mean, I don't hate you. it in the ninety nine. Uh, um, so I, I don't hate it. I, I I will say I really do need to play it. But my initial impression is that this card is going to you're going to play it one. Uh, you're going to play it a few times, and like you're it. No, it is not going to be. I, I think I can accept okay. this much that it could be not. Uh, won't grab enough attention, and will languish and become a bulk mythic. That's entirely possible. Uh, yeah, I, I see that. I see that. But I mean, you know what? Honestly, the more they do uh, flashback stuff, which I do think flashback stuff is cool. So, would you like some media uh, cool direct data that. on this? It is a fifteen dollars pre order. It is the third most built commander so far. And in terms of uh, how much is played, it is in five percent of all the blue containing decks registered in the last. Not bad so far. Not bad so, so far. Not bad. Not, Not bad. bad EDH metrics, but the people who have a tendency to be like, I must be the first person with my deck registered on Archidex tend to play blue because they uh, uh, they tend to be like, I picked on in high school because I was smart and not because I knew Rudo ran between my classes. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> I mean, I will say, look, I was excited about this card when I first read it. And then I was thinking about the play patterns and I was not liking what i was thinking about because you can't just assess the ceiling right when you're talking about a card you have to think about the worst case scenarios as well the cases that don't work and kind of judge that at least i at least that's me i'm sorry you are not speaking like an edh player every game is magical christmas land all the time and there is no fail state of card is yeah (laughs) the floor you mean the lower ceiling yeah, <laughs> you're right. The lower ceiling. Uh, the lower ceiling is is that the Golos player roughs. Oh wait, oh wait. <laughs> All right, Ellie. What, what about what about this little <laughs> thirst trap, Florian Voldaren Scion? Ooh, oh, he's quoting you from list. Twitter. What? He is. I do be. I do be about that thirst trapping, and so is Florian, one black so. red three three vampire noble first strike. At the beginning of your post-combat main phase, look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the total amount of life your opponents lost this turn. Exile one of those cards and put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. You may play the exiled card this turn. This made this made my list because I think you can play this commander, and I think you can 99 this guy. Oh, gosh. I just thought about a thing that is so exciting that I can't <laughs> tell you about, but it's really exciting. Is it that he oh, looks like Alucard? <laughs> No, I really can't tell. It's so exciting. It's, I have to write it's this all, down. It's all right, guys. Okay, if you j- join Pro Trader, oh, the Pro Trader ooh, Discord, ooh, Ellie ooh. posts these these musings after three <laughs> bottles of wine when she doesn't remember what she posts and drops them in for maximum oh. <laughs> effect on the market. I, I want to point out that if you saw a dude wear no shirt with a leather jacket, you would not call him a thirst trap in real life. A leather cape. Um, a it, leather cape. I think we, and no I, you're like, do don't get on that dude's motorcycle. It, it, <laughs> he is going to take you to a vampire LARP bar and then bore you. Okay, all of that is true. Also, I will say I do like Florian from a card. I think uh, this card's cool. I'm I'm happy slotting it into Prosper. Uh, I really like what Black and Red has been doing recently in terms of exile and and stuff like that. Um, I think. 
I like what Red Black was doing until Prosper. Like, Valky oh. is the deck I play the most, and then Prosper sort of like, hey, what if you didn't have to know how to build a deck to build a deck? Yep. Uh, well, look, uh, I will say, um, please ignore all of my previous well thought out, you should play niche stuff uh, comments and just say I absolutely stand proper. <laughs> um, Fair. <laughs> I'm trash. I, I recognize that I'm trash here. I, I get it. Uh, no, I didn't but call I think you trash is... for the record. No, I'm trash. It's okay. I got it. I'm a hypocrite. I, I'm, I'm a not hypocrite. even allowed to agree with you when you say that. I know. It's it's wonderful. It's a lot of power I have right you're, now. You're you're uh, my friend and uh, I value your commitment <laughs> to the the format and your uh, impact on the community. Please stop calling yourself trash. If someone's you're like right. it sounded like Jason nodded. <laughs> I don't need to. Yeah, then his career is over. <laughs> it sounded like Jason nodded. No, I do I I like I mean Florian, obviously Florian you're trash, but I can't agree. You, okay, so here's the thing. Minute. Florian's wow. foils are going to get real cheap foil extended art. And then the next time they go to Innistrad, like in nine months or whatever, Florian's going to... Those will be some of the foils that take off then. So you buy Florian foils mm-hmm. down the road, and then three years from now, they're worth money. Yeah. Uh, Florian's also on my list. Uh, I do like... Um... I like that there's an ask, even though maybe it's not super obvious, but it's like, excellent. We kind of care about combat. We want to do things where our opponents are losing life. Um, but it's not like until the end of your next turn, like Prosper, for example. So there is some time restrictions that are a little more relevant. So I think Florian's a good card. I think you'll see it in the 99. Um, I don't think, because it's a vampire, I don't think you'll ever see it at the helm of a of a vampire deck. I mean, but... it's because it's mono red, right? No, Florian is black red. Oh yeah, I, I, I didn't see yeah. what you're talking. This about. doesn't seem potent enough to care as a commander. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a it's a 99 card, but I think it's I think it's cool, and I think definitely people. Will How play about this? Uh, there are ten decks on EDA Trek right now. If that tells there you, there you go. Okay, well that doesn't tell me anything because the set's not out yet, and and nobody cares. All right, yet. so. Well, there are 106 Tovalar decks. Only so. the blue players care. We just talked about this. <laughs> Only the over eager blue colors. Listen, I really wish you wouldn't quote me if we're arguing. (laughs) How about this subtle little warlock, Sarath the Viper's Fang? Two and two and two green, three four legendary human warlock. Other tapped creatures you control have death touch. Other untapped creatures you control have hexproof. One tap, untap another target creature or land you control. It's doing a lot of things. You're building such a nice, like. A mass of death touch matters stuff that like any individual card doesn't matter but like they have made enough of them that like a death touch matters deck is possible finally and uh i'm into that mm-hmm. this card isn't great but if you add it to what we already have a deck is starting to take shape which i appreciate but, but this isn't even a death touch matters i mean it deck, can be right like it doesn't I, I just like the fact that your untapped creatures have hexproof and this thing can untap other shit you want to fool around with. It goes in the Arkelos deck I took apart after I played it one time. <laughs> That's exactly why I didn't build a deck. I knew I'd play that once and then be like, absolutely the fuck not. All right. So this is, I see this as a utility role player. It's a rare, not a mythic. It's going to probably end up bulk because it's probably not something that's going to be a big deal in standard either. It's definitely, it's one of the many cards in the set that can't cut it in modern or legacy. So... Well, I mean, if if you go to EDH Rec and you look what's actually in the deck, I think that's very instructive. Like, if you're like, how are people going to build this? 
if you go to EDH Rec and click on it and look what people are playing, it's kind of boring. You have... Wait, how popular is Finn the Fanger or whatever that one is? Uh, more than this so far. So it would go in the 99 of this? Uh, I mean, it's possible. Finn has uh, 613 decks. It's rank number 295 in the last uh, two years. So it's oh, a year kind of old. Surprisingly so it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's top 300, but what does that even mean? Uh, right, sure. Um, so, so if you look, it's mostly like mono green good stuff and then there's stuff like triumph the hordes and Oron frostfang and finn and toski so like oh that's kind of a boring way to build it sure, I, well it's sure, it, sure. but it's like how else would you build it though like you're not well, seeing I mean, a ton of like, like this, novel tech yeah yeah, yeah that's what I'm, I, yeah i understand what you're saying but i'm uh, like well, oh, well, I, I, yeah we're i think we this. are agreeing with each other for sure yeah we're we're, we're definitely in agreement um but hey if I, you I, have I any telethopters from tempest that says tap a creature to give telethopter flying so there's your tap outlet we did it because this is mono green <laughs> and you don't have anything you don't have access to opposition you don't have glare of subdual you have a telethopter <laughs> so Go for it. Build a mono green tapped creatures matters deck. Hey, how's Umbral Mantle doing? Uh, it's a million dollars because they have decided that it's on a secret reserved list that only Ellie has access to. The um, how, 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 <laughs> how do we feel Don't about <laughs> have another bottle of wine? Tell us about the <laughs> yeah. secret reserved list. How do wow. we feel about two mana Wrath of Gods? Vanquish the Horde, six two white sorcery rare. This spell costs one less to cast for each creature on the battlefield. So if there are six creatures on the battlefield, amongst four players, presumably, you cast this for two and destroy all creatures. Blasphemous Wrath. Yep. I like it. But, like, who cares about two mana? Like, who cares about the mana cost of a Wrath? If it's late enough in the game that you're getting a lot of creatures, do you not have four mana in your main phase? Like, uh, Well, it's, ni- I, it's, ni- it's nice I to Wrath the board than play a Reducing the mana cost of a Wrath is that... A- like... Oh, I have a counter to that. Okay, go I think ahead. actually it can be relevant. Um, so like if, so I think reduction on the mana cost is <laughs> actually is relevant if you're also trying to protect your own creatures. So part of the problem is you know, I think sometimes we kind of over we kind of exaggerate how much mana a let's say a white player or just a player period uh, has on their turn, but if you can reduce that much then the, if you can reduce the cost of the wrath i'll pay two wrath and then also pay you know whatever three for fairy's protection uh i think this the yeah, three for to fairy's protection or the uh the green one that's an instant that i can't remember because i've had a bottle of wine um i do like it heroic on that intervention axis. um heroic intervention like four is better than six right yeah and in, and in something so like before, say i'm playing a, if i'm playing know, a six, tracks of planeswalkers i'm totally down to pay to sweep the board then play a planeswalker pass i think mana reduction really can't be discounted i mean it probably can be discounted enough but it's usually not discounted it's usually not really appreciated enough but uh, freeing up mana is usually a good thing i would be this is definitely a on my try list um and i think it works great or it, it has the potential to work really well if you're um, going wide with a, you know, you have a big creature deck or have a lot of creatures, the- and then it's like, yeah, now you you're freeing up your you're helping yourself because it's part of the part of the weird things about white, at least to me, is like, yeah, it's asking you to make a lot of creatures, but then 
Um, it's also a control color, so you're killing those creatures. And it's like, this is nice, because then I can play this instead of Wrath of God, play a lot of creatures, and then potentially set up a, a nice turn where I'm protecting my stuff and wrathing the board. I'm in the, um, I will pay five mana for a Wrath with Upside versus paying three mana for just a vanilla Wrath camp. <laughs> so if it's like, hey, oh, I will fair. Wrath oh, all fair. non-tokens, so I'm, I don't have to protect my stuff because, like, I'm a mostly token deck and my stuff is protected by virtue of, like, its card type, stuff like that, I... I like uh, I like paying five mana for a wrath with upside versus you know paying three for. There's also the whole thing like we were talking about this in the Discord about how we're just getting wrath variants pretty much set after set now. So you know you just Mm -hmm. had do you just had Doomscar in Cal time, and it's not like that's a major gainer or going to be anytime soon. And so as much as I think Vanquish the Horde, that's a three mana wrath. I mean I think Vanquish the Horde has a role to play, but it's also getting dropped into this format where point removal and sweepers are just an ever expanding pool of pool of competing cards. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with that. I guess when I look at cards like this, I'm just trying to think where it would work the best and go from there. And like, you know, sure there's going to be better options. Maybe there are better generic options or whatever, but I'm just trying to think where, where it would work the best and then see if that's worth trying like working so let's let's compare this to the other big sweeper in the set that's actually a mythic which is pretty rare um the meat hook massacre x double black legendary enchantment when the meat hook massacre enters the battlefield each creature gets minus x minus x until end of turn so you're also getting a sweeper effect there but then it stays on the battlefield and whenever a creature you control dies each opponent loses one life whenever a creature an opponent controls dies you gain one life This, oh, God, magnificent. This is just, like, uh, essentially a more flexible Massacre Worm, right? Like, harder to reanimate, but otherwise mostly better. I would not be upset playing this for X equals zero. That's how good this is as an enchant. Yep. Just as it's its last two modes, that's how good they are. Yeah, early game if yep. you're setting up something else you're up to. Because yep. think just, about this, this with fantastic. Florian, right? Like, anything that cares about how much life your opponent's lost, this is sucking three. So then you're looking at three cards, blah, 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 blah. And there's so many ways that the losing and the gaining of the life can matter in, in this color paired with a couple of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this also uh, made my list basically for what Jason just said. I would cast this for X equals zero. All right. It's just that, that these kinds of effects are like really nice in Commander. Um, especially because like once you can start stacking these kinds of effects is really nice because uh, sometimes it gets a little grindy. So the more effects like this I can have, the more I'd be willing to build a deck like this. This also has grimy grimy uh, art. It's place. a very unique combination of effects. Uh, a sweeper that becomes an enchantment. I feel like I feel like this card's going to do well over time mm-hmm. and going to be... And it has some nice... Uh... Some, some 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 nice flavor. Yeah. I mean, look at that. It feels like it's one of the only useful mythics in the set at this point. Like the price is going to be wild because what it's EDH players. The only if if unnatural growth was a mythic, I would be trying money. to decide whether I was putting more money into this or growth. Given that unnatural growth is a rare, I'll still be buying some. I'll be looking to get like huge bricks of them real cheap. Whereas massacre, I don't know. Massacre could probably hold five dollars plus. Well, it's twenty dollars. Well, right I mean, pre pre order pricing's a uh, pre order pricing's a joke. So that doesn't matter much. Yeah, yeah. I, if you look at the um, 
the top 40 cards on EDH rec in terms it's granted that's sorted by percent inclusion and not like raw yeah. numbers, but you have like Arlen, Renan seven, um, Teferi and planeswalkers are always going to be like at the top initially. So yeah, Arlen's two Renan seven is number five to fairies. Number 11, uh, will health is number 18. Uh, Meat Hook Massacre is number 40 and Lear is number 39. So that's all the mythics in the top, like 40. Um, it seems like there are as many uncommons as there are mythics in the top 40 in terms of like what people are yeah. playing. Like people are mm-hmm. just as excited about Blade's Ditch Scub as they are about, you know, something like Teferi. So uh, it's really interesting to 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 try to figure out and it will help is in the top 40 and that's not even in the set proper that's a, a a pre-con card so like between the pre-cons and the base set you got very few mythics in the the top 50 of what people are building right now and granted you know we're getting decks as people build stuff we update every night but we're not seeing a ton of mythics in the top 50 which I don't think it's a problem because you look at a set like War of the Spark where like every card is worth $4 and that's actually kind of fine and makes me feel good about the boxes long term. Um, I think this set is just not relying on big splashy mythics that could potentially ruin a format to sell boxes. I think it's relying on Innistrad being a good setting and the rares being you know good for people it's a theme driven set and there's also a bunch of rares here that could have been mythics like the last thing on my list is lisa forgotten archangel two double white black four five legendary creature angel flying lifelink whenever another non-token creature you control dies return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step and then if a creature an opponent controls would die exile it instead what a dirty card yeah Mm -hmm. that's that's a nice one I mean, for, for anybody who's ever played, uh, what's the the eight mana black card that costs two if there's a bunch of creatures in the graveyard? Avatar of Woe? Yeah, yeah this has got an mm-hmm. Avatar yeah. of Woe kind of vibe going. Sure. So, yeah, that's my 10. What, what did I miss on my list that you guys have on yours? Um, right of Harmony. Is it... Ooh, is that the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, the, the uh, back call variant. Yeah. Yep. But like, also enchantments matter too. Mm-hmm. So like, it, it I, paying the initial two kind of sucks. But but like, you're comparing it to like a legacy card, and like, EDH yeah. isn't legacy. You don't have to go off on before turn three to like be able to win the game. So, I think right. Red of Harmony costing two versus um, costing one for this kind of effect is fine because it gives you additional flexibility. Um, being in green and white, not ideal if you didn't want to play white, but if you are triggering this with enchantments versus creatures, uh, this seems fine. This seems like a really good way to draw a bunch of cards. And uh, having flashback makes this, you know, double playable. Um, the problem is, I think this card is very narrow. As much as it's powerful, I think it's a little bit narrow. But it is something that a lot more people are playing than 
some of the other stuff we're excited about. It is nice that it can. This isn't twelve percent of all Celestia decks versus Augur of Autumn being eight percent of the. It's also nice that this counts token creatures. Yeah, but what? Yeah. Well, what percentage of enchantment decks is this in? That's what I would care about because it's like glimpse of nature, but it's for creatures or and enchantments. Yeah, so or enchantments. But token right? creatures also, so like Slesnia get yeah, yeah. ton tokens. So like it's 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 in Cephas in Cephas it makes I mean, the it, cut for sure. Right? Look, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I can like, give you okay, a little bit of a breakdown information. Um, yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was asking. It's like okay, well, Celesnia is a pretty broad umbrella thing. Well, there's actually um, no top two, commander right? listed for it, which means that it's not in any one yeah. deck enough to uh, well, it's to early have a top days, commander sure. listed. So, but it it, it seems kind of like it's it's spread out a lot. It is worth noting though that ancestral mask took off on Magic Online. That suggests to me that more people are building Sithis still um and right of harmony they will eventually realize they need right rights of harmony uh, i think they'll eventually realize they need a wing condition because sithis does not have a wing condition <laughs> as an estrid player uh you need a wing condition and you don't have one. i mean i would just like to say i i think this card is is really cool it's on my list as well um it's glimpse of nature is a powerful card this costs one more and also cares about enchantments um i would play this in pretty much any creature celestia creature or enchantment deck and the amount of like for enchantments specifically the amount of mana that you can generate just an enchantment deck in general is ridiculous like the amount of card draw and seven is just dumb so maybe it would just be redundant but i think it would be worth for sure worth the try that yeah that, i mean that was be kind of my i think this is amazing in any creature based strategy my concern with the enchantment stuff is a that the enchantments can be so much more expensive in mana cost that um you know you might have trouble getting a lot of activations off of it and those already have a ton of card draw once you get going uh since end of the battlefield you cast one replenish and then you draw your deck well were you losing if you weren't playing (laughs) were you losing if you didn't play the reply or if you play the replenish without this you'd be amazed okay Uh, i i've never played an enchantment based cdh deck I have. Yeah, I you can't. can be Actually, you know what? We should, who should we actually let me let me message uh, let me message Brian and ask him. Br- Brian David Marshall. Where Oh we're, sure. We're, well he's uh he's got a really dirty Esther deck for sure. Yeah, I know, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> I'm like, hey, would you play He's uh, asleep next to his wife right now. I'd just love to point that out. Wait, what's up? Oh god. Ugh, what a Twitter, he'll check it in the morning. Why isn't he podcasting so, about magic? Jason, what what's it? Because there's no Knicks basketball to watch. Jason, what else did we miss on here? Well, uh, if we're just going in terms of what is played on EDH Rec, do not discount how popular this cycle of lands are. Don't call them Tangle Lands. I'll block you on Twitter. But um, (laughs) they're pretty tight. People seem to like them. Uh, There were some pretty decent uncommons in, like charting and i don't think that means anything for us uh, from finance perspective but infernal grasp faithful mending vampire socialite and uh consider which is common faithful mending and infernal grasp are two uncommons that are potential for modern play infernal grasp because it has it's basically no downside doom blade uh, especially for playing things like death shadow where you want to lose the life and then Faithful Mending is an attempt to fix Faithless Looting, so it has to be paid attention to even though it costs more, and it's in could potentially be in awkward colors for the effect, but it, 
can still do a lot of work if they can find the right shell for it. So it uh, seems like people are kind of excited about that kind of stuff. Um, I, I don't sleep on croaking counterpart. Uh, it's a goofy card, but um, like having flashback means getting double copies of a, a utility creature is uh, you know getting one copy of a utility creature is very good, and get, being able to get a second copy of it. Um, I'm going to switch Ren and Seven in for uh, Serith because I suspect that Ren and Seven will see more play overall. It's a pretty busted mid-range Planeswalker. It has four abilities. And they're all over the map. Like, they do so many different things. Yeah. And five mana is really trivial in a green deck if you're uh, Lands Matter already. It's It's got the... What's the Ikoria Planeswalker? The Vivian Monster Hunter or whatever? It's got that kind of yeah. vibe. Just does so much stuff if they don't deal with it. Um, I'm kind of yeah, ignoring I'm, the adver- adversary. I have a cycle. lot of lands matters decks, and I'm wondering how many of them want Ren and Seven. It, it could be quite yeah, a few. Yeah, I could see it in the decks I've seen you run in, along those lines. The adversary cycle, I'm pretty much ignoring. It seems like just worse Titans for the for the most part. They'll see play, but I don't think they're. They don't seem like a big deal. They're way down on the list. Let's talk about yeah. talk about this card, though, from the perspective of both Modern and EDH. How about Moonvale Regent? This one might be flying under the radar for some people. Three and a red for a 4-4 four, four flying dragon. Whenever you cast a spell, you may discard your hand. If you do, draw a card for each of that spell's colors. When Moonvale Regent dies, it deals X damage to any target, where X is the number of colors among permanents you control. So the, the base case is you're playing this in Tiamat, You've got a five-color dragon out. This dies, it deals five to something. And when you play this, you got two cards left in hand. And you cast Tiamat or some other three, four, five-color dragon and then draw a bunch of cards. That seems reasonable. This would actually be really good on my Golos. Oh. <laughs> well, you can all, the other thing that was pointed out in the Discord today is that you can just play this in decks that want to go Hellbent. You know, decks that want to go, they're going to cast a bunch of stuff, a bunch of cantrips. You could play this in Feather. Um, because you're going to end up hellbent, and then this is just going to draw you extra cards every time you cast something and turn everything into a cantrip. Yeah, I think this is under the radar a little bit. Um, it seems like people building EDH decks aren't super jazzed about this right yet, and maybe it's because it's a $15 pre-order. Um, but uh, I think for a mythic really dragon in a set that doesn't have very many good mythics, that, that could be pretty significant. I think people also get intimidated whenever they see something that's like, yeah, get rid of a lot of resources. Like, is one card worth your hand? I think people get intimidated by these kinds of questions because it's a bit Does, hard doesn't to have assess. noob showcase appeal. Because it, when I was thirteen, yeah. I couldn't believe people thought Necropotence was sure, good. Sure, sure, yeah. I played Necropotence tonight, and I couldn't believe I thought Necropotence <laughs> was good. I'll be honest. You, you didn't have you, you didn't have your claws <laughs> oh, yeah, speaks to get rid of it. Oh, I know, yeah. So I was like, damn, actually, this is kind of annoying. I don't want this anymore. Speaking of which, what do you guys think of... Uh, uh, Lord of the Forsaken? Now. Yeah. Yeah. That Four boy. double black, six six These... flying trample demon. One black, sacrifice another creature, target player mills three cards. Pay one life, add colorless, spend this mana only to cast a spell from your graveyard. People on Twitter kind of lost their internal fecal matter when this <laughs> card was spoiled and then 
their internal fecal matter became external fecal matter when they saw this card and then like people don't seem to be as inclined to build with it but i don't know i think it's uh like moldratha and other commanders that care about things that are getting things in graveyards and then abusing them seems fine I don't like cards that are only in decks that don't need help. Yeah, like, <laughs> there is that because it's hard to find a yes, slot. I think that's fair. Like, what are you okay, cutting? I would just to like to say, um, I don't know, but because I don't play Moldrotha, I guess you likely have a worse like card than this, though. That's how good it is. Uh, I would just like to say that oh uh, we are not talking about Mask of Gristlebrand, ah. and that is a mistake because I will throw this in a freaking Gwyn deck and not give a. Ellie, you gotta you gotta keep the distance from the microphone. You sound like you just tried to she swallow was, it. She, that's her ASDM. <laughs> hey everybody, this is an it's, ASMR. It's her twi- ASMR <sighs> Twitch coming out. I'm gonna out. read the. Uh... Okay, my bad. I will I'm gonna read Lenore that, like, Autumn Sovereign's text box until you subscribe to my OnlyFans. <laughs> I will. T- I will try. To- <laughs> I will try and talk like. Um, it's because I was interrupting, and then I was just like, "All right, I'm." I have to lean forward, here. or they won't respect me. Right, exactly. That's I have to lean in, you know, like that uh, chick from Facebook says or whatever. Um, <laughs> anyways, mask. Yes, um, mask of Gristlebrand actually is on my list because I think this is pretty cool. Um, I just love these uh, black artifacts that have been made that are that are just like doing a thing. Um, I, I, I'm and th- I'm coming to perspective of. I'm going to play with this card, but I would play this in a Gwyn deck or whatever equipment matters deck or just in general, because I think it's pretty, uh, pe- pretty if your decent. deck cares about putting stuff into the graveyard for purpose, then this just gets better and better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things in, like, there's a lot of black decks that do. So I can see this in Gwyn. I can see this in, in any deck that where it's like oh yeah i want my creatures to die sweet i will attach this and sure yeah you have like skull clamp or whatever but this is like skull clamp but on a bigger scale potentially so um for me i'm like i think this card is pretty sweet yeah it almost made my list what do you guys think of curse of shaken faith the uh curse that whenever an enchanted player casts a spell other than the first spell they cast each turn or copies a spell Curse of Shaken Faith deals two damage to them. When I first read this, I thought it affected all players in EDH, and I was like, oh yeah, this is going to make games nice and fast. Mm-mm. Then I realized, at best, it's standard or modern. Since it's only one player. Yeah, you kind of got to pick on somebody, yeah. but like, I like picking on people in EDH. So... Me too. I, I do too. Don't be don't the farthest know... person ahead when I cast this. I, I don't know if, um, like, there's that new Curse Commander. And by the way, I do like the Curse Commander. The problem with the Curse Commander isn't a problem with the card. It's just that there's only something like 39 or 40, cur- 40 curses or something like that. And then that number drops by 10 when you talk about cards that that commander can play. Uh, so cards, curses and Grixis colors. So, you know, it's a question of how relevant like how much support there is um so for commander i'm not super high on it yet i think the more curses is the better uh but this curse is i think fine if you're talking about yeah if you're talking about modern or just any format where you're you're talking about copying you're copying spells you're doing more things than one a turn I'll play some historic. Curse of Silence is pretty tight too. The one where you they you make them unable to count cast their commander for two extra turns, and then you can draw a card when they do play it. Mm-hmm. Seems pretty cool. 
If you don't draw it early, it's kind of pretty bad. So I do want to talk for a second about how I think the set overall has very little to offer modern or legacy. Almost nothing for legacy. Um, the only stuff for, for modern that I've got flagged that we haven't talked about so far is Memory Deluge as a factor fiction variant for the control decks. Champion of the Parish is obviously a very good one drop for zombies, but there's not really a zombies deck in modern yet, so it needs more help to get there. Willowgeist looks like something that the food decks can fool around with because they do a bunch of iterations into the graveyard that could make the Willowgeist a better Tarmogoyf. And then Moonvale Regent could be played in five colored Niv Mizzet bring to light style decks because it does does things there but i can't because it's not multicolor itself i can't see it being more than a one or a two of there and other than that i've got nothing oh wait champion wait, of the parish not... is an a plus pun by yeah. the way uh wait do we not like stal stalwart pathlighter or is that is that the me? white one just... that uh kills something when it comes into play no, this is the white one that has Coven that makes your creatures indestructible until end of turn at combat. It's a two and a white uh, human soldier with Vigilance and Coven at the beginning of combat on your turn if you control three or more creatures with different powers. Creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn. And it's a three one. That's the one that seems like it could go into the human's deck. Like they will experiment with it in testing but sure. may not end up earning the oh. slot. Oh, sorry. I wasn't talking about that for modern. I, I would think the the only ones in terms of modern you care about are the ones that the blue white one and or maybe the white green one. That, yeah, for elves. The that yeah, the back the back call. Well, the 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 back call we talked about is a potential for elves in in modern. Oh, sorry. I'm thinking about Denik, which is the white blue one. Uh, that has lifelink and disturb and cards and grit and it's like grafter's cage right 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 and then it flips and then on the flip Um, side it says whenever one or more creature cards are put into graveyards from anywhere investigate and if it if it would be mm -hmm. if it would be put into a graveyard from anywhere exile it instead yeah uh i would think maybe that one uh now i never piloted humans but and then also the the white green one that's a one one the protection from oh yeah we talked about this last week travis katilda Dawnheart prime yeah Yeah. human creatures you control have add one mana of any of this creature's colors and then for six put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control that one's weird because it references it's it's a human warlock itself has protection from werewolves and yeah and then references humans so are we talking about this for I lost the thread modern or EDH? Uh, definitely modern for the blue white one, and I would think perhaps modern for the the red white one. That's three mana. Rem Carlu um, Stalwart Slayer. Yeah, but then for for Katilda, I could potentially see that being in the humans deck. I don't know how much humans really cares about. Uh, does it actually, isn't it mana? Isn't the mana in modern humans just like unbelievably atrocious? Yeah, but the, the, like the thing is that so. they, they, they lean heavily on vile, right? So I'm not sure they, it's a vile deck sure, They care sure, about yeah. the late, late stage mana this generates. Yeah, it's a vile deck, but then when you blow up the vile, your deck sucks. So, I mean, I don't know. Fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Have we I, even I, talked I, about like some of the EDH specific cards? Because there are thirty new cards from the EDH deck. All right. So, what, what are your what are your ruinous intrusion is something I ruinous really intrusion. Like. 
I had I had people argue with me on Twitter, but like I don't want to pay four mana for a naturalize, but uh, you put counters on your creatures. That's good. It's a combat trick, basically. You grow a creature at oh, instant yeah, speed, yeah, yeah. and you deal with this. Is this seems very solid. Like if these get low enough, this is a brick to to trade back into yeah. Card Kingdom eighteen months later. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Joey Schultz tweeted something I thought was pretty funny um, with. Uh, uh, the like Liesa, the um, the the non-face commander, the the legendary human rogue that when a creature you control dies, investigate, and if you play um, March of the Machines, it'll just make a loop of clue tokens that come into play as zero zeros and die, and you can just kill them with uh, huh. Blood Artist or the Meat Hook Massacre, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I think th- I think that's a very funny way to win a game of Magic: that, The Gathering. That, that's with Eloise. Unfortunately, there are a lot of printings of March of the Machines, but they're all like a that's block. W- that commander seems who bad. Eloise. Uh, the investigate. Yeah, check. four four human rogue three blue black. Whenever another creature you control dies, investigate. Whenever you sacrifice a token, surveil one. Yeah, cool flavor, but not actually good. I don't know. I'm determined to break yeah. it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think you can build this deck, and it'll be a good deck. There's enough black mm, sack out. You can build any commander. Well, it's a good I would, deck. I'm sure, I agree with that. But there's, I mean, there's a lot, bunch of ways to sack creatures a lot, and build up a ton of tokens, and then use turn the tokens into something else. Do you, Do you have a top commander deck card out of here that's going to show up as an extended art in the collector booster? Jason? I'm sure I don't even know what's going on with the collector. Well, I'm sure there's going to be extended arts of all of these commander exclusives. Um. Uh, Tovalar? I mean, that would be the most obvious one. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's that's one everyone says they're going to build now, but like... I think people want to Naya I think that's werewolf virtue signaling, right? People are like, I, sure, I love yeah. werewolves so much. Give us werewolf support. Make our moon mists work with the new cards. That's what we want. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't I don't think any of that stuff's actually... That Fair good. enough. So, so let me do this wrap-up. Right. How many... Which of the following do you think has more cards that are in the top 50 in modern right now? Kaldheim plus Strixhaven plus Minister... AFR plus Innistrad Midnight Hunt versus MH2. Wait, so it's MH2 versus the past, did you say like the past four? Correct. Maybe MH2, honestly. It's not even close. (laughs) No, yeah. But that's the crazy thing. Modern used to be... So you're commander, come on. (laughs) The decade of. I think we're... Well, it's the it's the COVID quarantine period of Commander. Like, you know, it was supposed right. to be a year, but now we're on month 19 of it. The point I'm trying to make that people need to understand for sure. 2021, 2022, and I suspect that this design space does leak into next year, is that after Eldraine being such a shit show of overpowered cards, mm-hmm. Okos, and Once Upon a Times and whatever, and them having to dial back hard, we're now in a position... And them doing that in a year while simultaneously releasing MH2, which people up front thought was worse than MH1, and now it's extremely clear that they were lunatics. And there's actually 
three or four times more play relevant playables that are going to make their way into the top 50 for modern out of that set we're now in this really weird position where modern horizons 2 basically makes it almost impossible for anything from these standard sets to matter for modern like there's four yep. maybe five cards out of all four of the the other sets that have made their way oh i'm gonna take esper sentinel out for this no you're not like when well, you've got like expressive iteration out of strixhaven right. and a small handful of other role players from the standard sets but generally speaking the standard sets very much from this year all look like they were made with yeah sure standard but edh in mind first and foremost and that has resulted in there being very little crossover appeal and from a financial perspective what we're typically looking for is the stuff that's going to show up in both of the biggest formats modern and and commander and i I mean until people are playing paper again is modern a big format because where are people playing modern travis and i were talking about this before you guys came on about how we've sold modern cards all the way through COVID, and it just never made any sense Mm -hmm. like who's like but the reality is that we all underestimated on the vendor side of things that this is still a hobby which means people will were building commander decks when they couldn't didn't have anybody to play them with they were building modern decks when they didn't have anybody to play them with they were may have been still building standard decks there there may be people out there that are just nakedly collecting you know that don't have as much of a voice on social media as as some of the other segments of the hobby do and they're clearly buying cards so it's worth noting because I haven't bought anything, any product for Midnight Hunt. I went back and bought more collector booster boxes for MH2 because yeah. the Commander Legends co- Commander uh, or collector booster boxes from last fall have been solid gainers in less than a year. And MH2... Which is crazy because every foil in there is complete curly garbage. And, unless, unless you put it through a like vigilant regime of rehydration, yes. the So, yeah. I mean... And the MH2s don't really have that problem. And they're chock full of a million necessary staples for modern with a ton of EDH crossover. And and, and it includes yeah. old border foils. And, and not just yeah, I OBS. I mean, it turns out people like good cards because <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, they gave us Urza Saga for modern and every EDH player is like, oh yeah, I have a ton of stuff I can yep. touch with this. Well, it's, it's like, it turns out good cards are just good and... Even if they were designed for modern, EDH players will play them if they are relevant. And then they also did this. They also did this are. weird thing where they have different formulations for Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow. Right? Crimson Vow leads into the Christmas season, so they wanted to juice it a little more. So it's got box toppers, but we don't have box toppers in Midnight Hunt. And then we've got the double feature thing in the spring, which really convolutes the the whole thing. And it just ends up being that I'd rather go. Okay, this set's cool. There's some cool cards, but let's let EDH rec data and a bunch of other data points tell me what i'm supposed to buy eight weeks from now and in the meantime just let me step over here and spend another few grand on mh2 so we're properly aligned on old border foil scalding turn for when that turns into yeah i would say the bulk the bulk of my purchases this year not that i should be indicative of anything i'm just speaking into anecdotally here god i've been on the cag too long because now i qualify everything i say and I yeah you have, you have keyword anyway, cover um, so <laughs> Ugh. Um. So, uh, has been literally a uh, reserve list things, and then MH two. Uh, it's reserved. <laughs> reserve, reserve. You can eat my. Are you kidding me? 
You've been on the keg too long. You don't know how to say reserved list because you're not allowed to acknowledge it. <sighs> that's right. That's true. Um, no, that's not true. Uh, yeah. No, I've I bought a ton of uh, MH2. I just think that I think that's crazy uh, that people weren't that were kind of lower on that set because I'm like this set is nuts. I no, Magic players are bad at evaluating cards. Otherwise, none of us would make any money. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> I was buying $3 Thrag Tusks pre-order. But I think um, my impression of of Midnight Hunt is, in, in particular to EDH, is there are a lot of fun, like, kind of fun cards um, that are more on the casual, like, might see play. I don't really think a lot of these, and most of these, are going to make any waves. Um, and that's my impression. Like, this is, like, really not super... I, you know, I'm I'm not really like, oh yeah, this is this is the card. Even as a sleeper, like, this is sick. You know, does that? It's just like this is a fun. Do thing. any this of you? Do either of you uh, think I, that any rare other than a natural growth and auger of autumn is more brickable? Uh, define brickable. Yeah, brickable is just like there's there's a card. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna wait till somebody posts a hundred copies on TCG and buy a huge thick brick of them because they're right of way harmony. too cheap right of harmony right of harmony I mean, I is gonna get super cheap i think right of harmony uh maybe this is is aren't there zombie mythics uh that are kind of relevant people love zombies don't they jason you have the data you're the data man tell me about the zombie stuff people love to say they love zombies ah uh, yes so it's like werewolves I saw somebody comment that one of the problems with zombies is there's so many good ones that every new zombie is competing against 200 other great choices. Mm. And it's... Like uh, I was... You got the really good Innistrad ones. Like, any new zombie is like, are you better than Gravecrawler, though? Like, are you better than something that actually works with Wait, Pop every zombie enabler cool. since versus working with the stuff just in this set? Mm, Pop yep. Stitcher's kind of cool. I that card's cool. Stitcher. Mm-hmm. When it's super low, uh, actually. Um, how much is it now? Not that I'm gonna make a purchase while I'm on a podcast because I would not. And and because that. you know that you're supposed Are to wait six weeks me? to buy your new cards. What do you think because, we do? But I'm just looking. I'm just looking. Okay, so it's it's still okay, like six dollars. All right, I'll I'll, we, I'll wait a little longer. That's fine. We do that on cat. We're like, oh yeah, uh, that's a good pick. I just bought three. Like that's a, there's yeah. there's no shame in that. I mean, I would keep. There's definitely cards where like, mm, okay, like Papa Stitcher's kind of like in there for me. Like, the oh, thing that's nice about Papa Stitcher maybe. is it's not really a zombie card. It's just a tokens card, so it's gonna mm-hmm. fit in. Yeah, the yeah, only yeah. thing really holding it back is that it it's a blue tokens card, so it has to fit into decks where you, you care about that. But if you're doing something like Brea and you're going to put a bunch of Thopters into play and then turn them into 3-3s, three that seems fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about with uh, that card. I was like, oh, well, I don't really necessarily have to have a, a zombie deck. I think you're all sleeping on Croaking Counterpart. What is Croaking Counterpart? What you don't I even know. Create a token that's a copy of target non-frog creature, except it's a 1-1 green frog. I don't care if their Bro, best what? utility creature becomes a frog. I'm fine with it. Uh, and it has flashbacks, so you're stealing two utility two creatures. Hmm, okay. Uh, it's cackling counterpart, but like, with frogs. There's also I would say, a sorcery. some kind of weird cards in this set. It's croaking counterpart. 
There's some weird cards in this set that I'm not really... I'm like, oh, maybe if there's more stuff? I don't know how I feel about this. Like, the slime one is kind oh, of... Oh, I, I know a card we, we forgot about that's definitely going to see tons of play. Uh. Flesh Taker. 2-2 two, two, white, black, human assassin. When you sacrifice another creature, you gain one life and scry one. And then pay one, sack a creature. It gets plus two, plus two. Oh, I That's like that way card. down on EDH, and I think it could be because it was spoiled later in the week, and people haven't had time Wait, to Wait, can I rant it. for like yep. one second? Go for it. Okay, listen. Avsin's Memorial is fine. Stop. I, I swear to God. All of you that are like, this should be exactly Avacyn, Angel of Hope. Why don't you just buy a freaking Avacyn of Angel of Hope? Got him. Why don't you just do that? Just yeah, do guys. that. Um, turns out cards can be different from one another. So just do me a favor and do that. And then also the second thing is imagine playing this card any cheaper. This card would suck. I will play, listen, I will play this. If you want to rule zero, let me have this be four mana or whatever you think is a fair thing as if you're a good judge of rate and you're not, but fine. Let's pretend. Um, I'll play this for four mana in a Captain Sisse deck and I will make you hate your life. Be quiet and stop tagging me. I hate <laughs> this. Ooh. You want to you do YouTube clips for us like that daily? Honestly, Super I would. <laughs> I will do it. I will just absolutely sass some people over this card. I, I will not hear it. I will not hear it. I will not hear it anymore. I don't want any more tags. I'm not compensated for reading your tweet. I'm not. And it's very mm. irritating that y'all think I am. <laughs> anyway, moving on. The, you know, the Twitter is rolling out that thing where you can charge people to read your tweets, but really they need a feature where you can charge people for having made you read their tweets. I wish I could, because if I have to... Somebody suggested we should, un- instead of banning Karak or sorry, instead of banning Golos, we should unban Caracas, and then I was like, you know what, I'm done for the day. I'm done. I'm done for the day. I'm I, tired. I read three things on Twitter that made me say that's the worst tweet I think I've ever read. Just and, today, and, like and I day. took Twitter off of my phone. <laughs> it was a very bad day on Twitter. <laughs> really? I, my Twitter feed was nothing but Norm McDonald clips today. <sighs> that sounds so... Great. Oh, I got I uh, Norm McDonald was toxic, actually, because he said something nice about Louis C.K. And uh, if you say that you what? are sad Norm McDonald died, uh, women shouldn't trust you. I got all those tweets. <laughs> No, I really like Norm Macdonald's jokes. He did have a lot of difficult comments, but that's a topic for another that's our, another podcast entirely. I think. The, are you are you telling me that boomers had some problematic opinions? Because I don't know about that. Have you met mm-hmm. boomers? No, nope, never. Honestly, I'm surprised anybody expects anybody in Gen X. Uh, I'm like, listen, their parents were boomers, and like that's rough. My that parents sucks. were boomers. Not pa- yeah, yeah, yeah. Aren't you Gen X? No. No, we're all Aren't I Gen X? How dare you? How old are you? Wait a minute. <laughs> Do you think I'm 45? Get out of here. <laughs> well, Gen X starts at like 39 or something, right? Wait, I feel so terrible now. Wait, I don't know. I Do you don't think know I'm 45? How old do you think I am? I thought Ooh. you were. Do I look like shit? Should I stop drinking? <laughs> Should I drink more water? Do you really think no, I'm Gen X? No, who am I going to talk to oh about God, beer then? I'm like, still here, guys. The, I, I know a lot about <laughs> beer. I can talk about beer. Excellent. I'm not 45. Excellent. I love that. I love that for me. Oh, 41 in 56 years. I mean, I would, Jason, I wouldn't be. What? 
I think forty one is like a. No, you think I I'm think forty one. That's a little older. You give me very. I am closer to forty one than thirty, but that does not mean I'm forty one. This, this is exactly the content our <laughs> people what? pay us for. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just drink right. the rest of my wine and is, pretend I said is, nothing. It is twelve thirty at night. You guys are killing me here. I hate oh, to, I'm sorry I hate for the a... the free after hours. If this isn't what your listeners want, then. No, our listeners are going to love this. The problem is I'm not ready for this tonight. I have to job. I have, to job. I have a job. You have a child. Yeah, in I know. In this economy, who's, how who's, who's going to wake up in three hours and I'm going to spend an hour dealing with him? I need more than four hours of sleep. Just do what Just do what my Just do what my mom did and my grandma did. Just put a little rum in the milk. <laughs> just listen. Listen. Hand her to the nanny like her mother did. Listen, folks, we, yeah. we spent three just, hours just, getting to the following point. This is a very medium-looking set. Fast fight. Very medium-looking yes. set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. Actually, I like Bloodthirsty Adversary, but anyway, sorry. I, I mean, af- this is a really refreshing bite on a lime <laughs> after the disgusting tequila shot of Dungeons & Dragons Maze. Okay, hold on a second. Tequila is excellent, and how dare you compare it to... Duh. Actually, you know what? I see where. Okay, so here's the thing, though. Com- Commander Legends D and D Part Two is n- just around the corner, folks. Oh God, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I need to. Retire. If you thought the Dungeons and Dragons fan base was bad, wait for Warhammer. <sighs> yeah. So just ignore Midnight Hunt and get the even better Lotus out of the D and D Commander set. Yeah, or just, you know, keep buying Modern Horizons, too. Yeah, which is I think I'm fine with that, way. too. All right, so huge thanks to Commanders-in-Chief Jason Alt and Ellie of The Vale. Uh, we will uh, d- definitely have you both back on. I think maybe for uh, April Fool's this day, we should just hand the cast over to these two, <laughs> get, them, get them drunk up, and see what happens. Sounds reasonable do I not think, give me a works. clip that is less than four hours this is fast finance not brainstorm <laughs> brewery absolutely <laughs> all righty where can everybody find ellie online uh you can find me over at twitter uh ellie of the veil vale. um but please be warned uh i will block you and i don't really care um no i'm just kidding i'm very friendly um kind of. And then uh, you can also find me on twitch.tv at Elliot Vale. And you can direct your comments and questions to me. And as long as you don't talk out the side of your neck, I'll be happy to discuss that with you. Unless I don't feel like it. So it's That's vampire slang, dice. in case you guys are wondering. And yeah. Jason, where can yeah. people find yeah. you online? Uh, you can find me in the MTG Price Pro Traders Discord at... Uh, <laughs> At wherever yeah. that is um you need, hang you out need, there need an invite and so uh, no, no we don't no we don't <laughs> yeah there's no link what are you talking Wait, about i'm actually you, gonna post in that discord right now you so you should i'm here and you should tag me because uh tagging me works uh i i'm there i'm there a lot even if i'm not posting i'm reading so i see all the things you he, say he's about shit posting me. in his head uh, <laughs> I have trouble imagining Jason thinks anything that he doesn't put somewhere. Yeah, um, that's true. I have a link tree on my Twitters, and uh, that that links all the stuff I do, because that's what a link tree does. It's a tree full of my links. 
Remember when Linktree's existed in 1993 and they were just called your Angel Fire website? Yeah, um, so if you want to hear an 8-bit chiptune version of Linkin Park's crawling, go to my, uh, <laughs> that's actually linked in my Linktree, my very first. That sounds like a very Gen X statement, are you kidding me? Remember that Angel Fire's older than Ellie? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is it? Probably. Hey, Ellie, on 9-11, did you get picked up early from daycare? <laughs> Eat my. Anyway, uh, the no, I was at, I was actually in elementary school, I think. And you you guys can find me on Twitter <laughs> at MGG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com, where I talk about how I'm so old I could die tomorrow. I also, date launched 1996. I was born in 1993. Suck it. 1993. Let's see what was I doing there? Getting sued by Napster. That's right. I'd also like to remind our listeners oh. to check out the mggprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, wine-fueled rants hey, by Ellie and Jason, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. What? What did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> what a sign-off. Honestly, I almost said Cliff, but you know what? He doesn't deserve that. (laughs) You know what? Now I'm going to have to listen to this podcast for the first time ever to figure out what the hell you just said. (laughs) Perfect. Can't wait. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, single sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order. And support this podcast, which brings us to the end of episode 289, uh, one for the books, assuredly. Hopefully, I think we're going to, we definitely have to try and do this again. Um, (laughs) I will be joined next week, sans guests with James. But uh, Jason and Ellie, thank you so much to you both, really, for coming on. This is a lot of fun. Thanks it was my pleasure. Anime. I'll have to come back next set in uh, a week and a half. <laughs> See you guys in a oh, double feature next week. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Ellie. Thank was you, I Jason. supposed to be recording this? <laughs> we'll see y'all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs> Thank you.